Divine Truth Events These are events and presentations by Jesus and Mary. This presentation is part of the Relationship with God series. The topic is Faith and Prayer. Presented by Jesus on the 11th of May 2013 in town of Mergen, Queensland, Australia. This is session one, part one. Better turn myself on. Hello. It's been a long time no see, hasn't it? Five months? Yeah, it's been five months since we saw the majority of you last. Welcome today. You're all very well behaved today. I'm impressed. <laughs> it's amazing what absence does and a bit of uh, self-contemplation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, today and tomorrow, if I just let you know what our plans are today and tomorrow. Firstly, today, we've, uh, the plans are that we talk to you about faith. And we'd like to make it a presentation that involves your questions. So, so we're very happy to answer your questions on the subject of faith. But it might pay to give me at least five minutes first at the start, just so that I can introduce the subject. Um, tomorrow, yeah, <laughs> instead of straight away. Um, tomorrow we'll be talking about the subject of prayer. So today's faith and tomorrow's prayer. So they are the two things, topics we'd like to discuss with you today and tomorrow. As you've noticed, there's some uh, media with us today. We've got some fellows from New Zealand, uh, Channel 9 New Zealand. And uh, if you guys want to put your hand up so that, so that everyone can see who you are, yeah, so there you go, Channel 9 New Zealand. And also we have some guys uh, from Sky News in UK. So, so they're the guys. So that's, you'll see them wandering around a bit. Um, by now, most of you have probably gotten fairly used to the fact of having a camera pointed in your direction. <laughs> at least um, with our cameras at least so just relax with that and uh, and just be yourselves that's the main thing to do today we have uh, are going to discuss with you a number of other things besides the topic of faith but we'll do that after the break actually so what we're going to do is have a break about two hours in and then we'll uh, have a little demonstration for you that uh, some people have organised of a couple of rap songs. Um, so, has, ha, have any of you seen? I think we've uploaded some on the net at this point. Have any of you seen them? Yeah. No, you have. Yeah, they are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Joy just goes bright red every time I say that. Um, but it is very funny. But. Uh, they were all done for the Kenya project that, uh, that we were working on over the last few months. We also did um, quite a lot of videos while we were uh, what you might have thought as resting. Um, we, we don't see it as resting, we just see it as doing some different things. Um, and what we finished up doing was uh, probably 60 hours or so of videos in that time from last time we've seen you to now. Uh, which are all, have all been loaded onto the internet, or most of them have. And uh, many of them are discussions about the pageant messages, some of them are discussions about... Uh, we've even started doing some mediumship uh, stuff that we're recording now, and I don't think you've got the latest one of those on the net yet. And we also have done quite a few 
discussions and frequently asked questions. In fact, we've done 200 frequently asked questions as well, um, which are different to, many of them are different to the interviews. So we've started up a new frequently asked questions YouTube channel. And the idea of that was to just give people lots of uh, a list of lots and lots of different types of questions under different types of subjects where they can listen for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes depending on how long the question was uh, answered and they can they can easily get some truth in that short in that short time frame so that was the purpose of those so many of you probably wouldn't have seen those I would say I would suggest and some of them are worth seeing in our opinion <laughs> that's just our opinion of course all right, well, let's uh, get started on this topic of faith, shall we? What do you feel faith is? Have you given it much thought? You see, the, the way I see faith is probably different to the way most people see faith. Um, I see faith in every single aspect of our day-to-day -day life. Most of us have learned faith by the time we're three years of age, in fact. Right? Just not faith in God, but we have faith in many other things. For example, most of us, by the time of three years of age, have some faith that somebody is going to feed us when we're hungry. And why do we have that faith? Usually it's because of the past experience that we have been fed every time that we were hungry. Can you see that? And so after a while, we get to the point where we realise that we, we don't need to worry about hunger so much, particularly in the Western world. Now, of course, there's people in other countries who do not have that faith. And the reason why they do not have that faith is because they have not had the experience of being fed every time they're hungry. And because of that, they don't necessarily have a faith that they are going to be fed whenever they're hungry. That makes sense, doesn't it? Can you see, straight away from that little illustration, faith is based upon what's happened to us previously to a degree. Um, you're three or four years of age and you decide to jump up into the air, right? Now, all of you have a faith that you're going to come down again. Right? Now, you don't know the law of gravity in the sense of uh, understanding it techni technically and scientifically, but you do know it from a personal experience. You know what the law of gravity is going to do. Because by that age, you have now become so used to the fact that every time you jump, you're going to go down rather than up into space. Now, imagine a life where you were worried about jumping for a moment. I can't jump today. I can't jump today. I might fly out into the universe if I jump today. You see, can you see that faith is based upon some kind of law as well? So in the case of the law of gravity, what happens is that we have faith that whenever we jump, we will return to Earth and we know it as a certainty. And the reason why we know it as a certainty is because it is one of God's laws. One of the laws of the universe is the law of gravity. And so the law of gravity will determine what happens when we jump. And we come to trust these laws, these physical laws in particular, every single moment of our lives. 
without any thought whatsoever. They become a part of our very existence, in fact. Every one of them requires our faith, to a degree, but because we now know it as a certainty, we don't consider it to be faith. Now, if you look at what's happened historically with regard to the law of aerodynamics, now, how many of you, when you were children, decided that you wanted to flirt with the law of aerodynamics and strap the pack to your back or something like that or tried to jump off a building with something above you that would flare out, hopefully, and catch you by the time you hit the ground? How many of you tried that, actually tried that? All right, so, yep. And, and how many of you are men? <laughs> Quite a number, yep. That's normally the way it is. Well, I used to do that too. I'm very lucky to be alive, actually, in a lot of ways. <laughs> because I loved the whole concept of flight ever since I was a child. And, uh, and so what I used to do was I, I used to get these kites, and I'd make these kites, and then I'd jump out of a tree. And it's fortunate that actually the trees weren't very big where I grew up. Otherwise, I would have probably come to a lot more grief than I actually came to. And I was fascinated too by by um, balance and, and those kind of things. You, I, I remember seeing as a child the whole concept of somebody doing a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Did you ever see those pictures? Well, I, when I saw those pictures, I was just fascinated. I decided I wanted to be a tightrope walker. And, and so what I did was I got up onto our fence, which was one of those old wooden fences, you know, with wooden slats about six foot high, and I got out one of my father's bars, which was a steel rod bar that went for about 20 or 30 feet long, and I was balancing with this bar, walking along the fence, and of course I fell off and broke my wrist, that's, the, um, that's what happened to me. So, like I said, most of us have probably experimented with these kind of things, flirting with the laws. If you think about the law of aerodynamics, what caused man to decide to try to build a flying machine. Let's have the mic so that we can... The birds? The birds, watching the birds. But most of us, when we're little, and we watch it with fascination, don't we? It's like this, this underlying fascination. And inside of us builds this feeling. This feeling starts to develop. Of, oh, I would like to be able to do that. All right? And there's all sorts of reasons why we have that feeling when we look at a bird. Like, for example, we have the feeling of freedom. And many people who become pilots have that sensation where they, where they love the sense of freedom that they feel when, they, when they're piloting. And so we've decide, we decided, historically, many people have decided to flirt with the laws to find out whether there were any laws that controlled flight. Now, obviously, the fact that birds could do it had a huge impact upon our choices. The fact that we knew something had, was doing it meant that we could have some trust that it could be done. And, of course, that makes faith a lot easier. If somebody illustrates that it can be done before we actually go ahead and do it, that makes us, or it helps us, have a lot more faith that we can personally do it. Does that make sense? Will they? Speak just down the front here. <coughs> I wonder if we're influenced by the fact that in dreams sometimes we fly? 
Yes, certainly. There's all these kind of events that do occur in the sleep state. That when we're asleep, we obviously our body separates from our physical body, and we are in the in the spirit world in that state. And in, and in the spirit world, we can fly. Of course, we can move about quite easily. And so there is this feeling or this desire to do it when we're awake, which 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 obviously has in, has influenced mankind for a long time. The the earliest recorded time in history where man, there was some kind of reference to flight, was in the 1700 years before my first century life. So 1700 years BC. And, and my suggestion to you is that it happened a lot long, earlier than that. But that was the first recorded thing that we actually have a record of now. But if you look through history, you know, we flirted with kites and then we flirted with gliders and then we flirted with balloons and then we flirted with what was called lighter than air flight, which was all the balloon type flight. And then we started flirting with heavier than air flight and learning how to control that. And this is where people like Whitehead and the Wright brothers and other people like that in history, they, they were flirting with the laws that controlled flight the laws that controlled the three or four ways in which you, you can manoeuvre a craft. And as they did this, they were building on their knowledge of law. Does that make sense to you? So there is a direct relationship between faith and law. And I'm not talking now about man's laws. I'm talking about the laws of the universe, the laws that govern our very existence. So, for example... If we think about the law of gravity, which most of us are aware of now, and we become aware of at a very young age, that is a law that is a fact. It's a fact. It's one of the facts, scientific facts of the universe, is it not? Right? So the fact is that every single law that we have tr developed trust in is based upon facts that we can measure scientifically, that we have some kind of justification for believing in. Otherwise, we wouldn't believe it, would we? We wouldn't accept it. Now, the guys who started working on the other law, the law of aerodynamics... In other words, the science, it's all, these are all laws, they're all facts. It's the science of discovering how, what laws govern the manoeuvring of a vehicle that is in the air flying. Right? So are, these are laws all based around facts, things that we actually know. Now, we didn't know them at a time. For example, it, it wasn't known until quite recently in, in, in recorded history, it wasn't known that gravity could be measured in terms of its acceleration. So it had a speed and acceleration that would occur um, through gravity on the Earth and that every mass would have a different value of gravity depending on the size of the mass. Those kind of things were fairly recently discovered in the last five or six hundred years. And, and it was only by people doing what we now call experiments. That we came to understand the laws involving, for example, the law of gravity. 
That make sense? So if you are against experimenting with your life, then I suggest you're not going to find out many laws of the universe if you do that. And you'll be reliant on other people who are more courageous than yourself, who are willing to experiment. So my suggestion, though, is to have the courage to engage in experiments. Because the more we experiment with life, the more we begin to learn about the laws that govern our life. As we learn the law that governs our life, we then come to see those laws as facts. And once we see them as facts, we have some faith in what will happen in our future based on those laws. So faith isn't this thing that most religions tell you it is. Most religions tell you that you've just got to believe and there's no reason behind it. Or you've just got to accept it and there's no proof when there's no proof. That's what they will tell you. And what I'm suggesting to you, if we look at our physical life, we can see that this is not true. The reality is in our physical life, we have learned different laws through a process of experimenting and finding out eventually that there are facts that involve the process of discovery of law. And these facts determine what we can have faith in in the future. So, so for example, with the Wright brothers, with, the, with their design of their aircraft, they realised that if they had this shape of a wing that would cause more air to flow over the top and therefore be thinner than underneath, then they would create lift. There was the principle of lift. And this was a law that they discovered through the design of gliders before they actually made their own aircraft that was powered. They designed gliders. And there, was many there were many experiments for almost 100 years before they came about that had proven these facts. So from their perspective, building an aircraft was not something that was uh, you know, beyond imagination. All they realised is they understood the law. Now when they were children, like myself, you remember those little helicopter things that you could buy? I don't know if you remember, usually made of plastic with a handle and you pull the handle and it spins this blade that's got a certain shape and all of a sudden the blade takes off and flies around and then lands. You, you remember those? Uh, yeah, I suppose they don't have these toys much anymore, but anyway. Um, this is, I'm showing my age now. Um, but, but you pull it and off it flies and lands down. And it's fascinating for children to watch all of these laws in action. And so most children, like the Wright brothers, when, at a very young age, when they get one of these devices, they go, wow, this, there's the spark of their interest in some of the laws and and in their case they wanted to discover more about the laws because there were certain things that were not discovered and that was how to maneuver and control flight so there was plenty of people who were going up in hot air balloons and then coming down somewhere where they didn't necessarily want to come down at some point in the future uh, they were comfortable with the whole concept of a hot air balloon flying because of, a, because of the lighter than air concepts, but they didn't know how to control their flight. And, and man, after that point in time, wanted to focus on control of flight. And so this is where a lot of experiments were done by Whitehead, the Wright brothers and others, who were attempting to control flight. Now, the very first flight 
only went for something like uh, nine seconds or 12 seconds, I can't remember the actual figure, and, and uh, they only went for something like 90 feet. Uh, that was a, but it was a controlled flight where they could manoeuvre the craft. Within two years or three years or so, they were flying 20 minutes at a time right, with their craft and flying up to 45 or 50 kilometres in terms of distance. And do you know how far we fly now? Well, we fly all around the world, don't we? And there's, there's aircraft now that have 860 plus passengers flying at 900 kilometres per hour for 15,000 kilometres. Right, so that's that, and that has been made, that transition has been made in just over 100 years. Just over 100 years for their entire transition. But all of that transition was based upon laws and facts. Now, the people who were so-called visionary could, could vision the future of this. So you had people like Leonardo da Vinci, for example, who who would construct or design or draw flying machines. Now, they had, now, this was hundreds and hundreds of years prior to it actually occurring. So they had dreams that it could occur and imagination, but it was not based upon some kind of uh, weird science or some kind of like disturbed mind that caused them to believe all those things. It was based on what they could observe as facts. So what I'm trying to get at here is that there is a direct relationship between faith and facts. A direct relationship between faith and laws. Now we haven't on earth always known of the law and so what we have had to do is we've had to imagine certain things and then try experiments that would determine what the law would be. And then once we measured the results of these experiments, we decided to experiment some more with greater experiments and bigger, bigger experiments, but using the same law. Right? So there was a focus on understanding the law. So the law of gravity, we determine is a law. By the time we're three years of age, we, we are fully conscious of its operation, even though we are not necessarily aware of the intricacies technically regarding the law. So we wouldn't know, for example, when we're three, most of us wouldn't know that the acceleration of the law of gravity is, on Earth is 9.8 metres per second per second. We wouldn't know that. Right? And most of us as adults are probably not that aware of that either, <laughs> unfortunately. You were probably told that sometime in your history when you were at school. Now, we know that because it was me it's been measured, the acceleration of the law of gravity. Right? We know that. We also know that it's developed by the differentials in mass. So we know that if, it, if something's bigger, it has a greater gravity than something that's smaller. And this is why when, we go, when they calculated all the calculations regarding going to the moon, they were aware that they'd be able to make a step and sort of fly through the air a bit before they hit the ground because the mass of the moon is much, much lower than the mass of the earth and so forth. therefore there is less gravity 
And because of the calculations of the relativity between mass and gravity, we can actually work out the actual gravity of any mass. So there's a whole lot of scientific principles and technical principles associated with knowing the law that defines gravity and the relationship between that law and mass itself and the creation of gravity from mass. And of course, we know that every material has a different mass. So if something's made of a gaseous ball, for example, it's going to be much, much lighter and therefore have more, less gravity than something that's made of a solid core that is much heavier and therefore will have more gravity associated with it. And these, can all, these principles can all be calculated. If, in fact, we are still coming to understand gravity. Did you know that? There is still quite a lot, scientifically, that we do not know about gravity. For example, there's the measurements of dark, what is called dark matter, right? That determine gravitational fields. That, that, that's matter that we cannot measure using any normal techniques. But we know it's there. Now, these are all principles where we're still coming to understand the laws of gravity. And, of course, it also brings us to the laws of gravity and how it affects light. So how it affects the things we see. It actually curves light if the mass is great enough. Right? So, so the little child who's three, if we just go down that one level of investigation of let's find out everything that we can possibly find out about gravity, by the time there are scientists at 40, they'd still be working through many, many things that they need to know about the for this one single force or law. It's very different knowing the technicalities of something, is it not? Compared to actually being involved in its operation. So the child at three is involved in the operation every time it jumps into the air. But it doesn't know the technicalities, how it affects the operation of the universe at that point. There's more things to discover. And so it is with all of God's laws, in fact. All of God's laws are facts, but the more we investigate them, the more we realize we don't know. And that is generally the case with most scientific discoveries. And it's also the case with most of these principles that, that we can discover in terms of physical principles. Now, why have I raised all of that when, in a discussion about faith? Do you think? Thanks, Jason. I was just getting a feeling of my own soul's gravity and magnetism and how it relates to law of attraction and God's laws and experimenting. All right, you're way too technical for me already. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do you think I have presented this firstly as an introductory concept to the, to the term of faith, do you think? Alex, in front. And then. Uh, that we gain faith through experience. We gain faith through experience and experimentation, yes. Anything else that we can gain from this analogy? If we go, um, if we come down to Laura here on the side, and then down to Joy on this side. Um, that it's not like wishing on a blind, wishing or a hope that there's something that exists, like it's a, it's a fact, it's proof, it's a law. So it's, it's not a blind, as you were just about? It's not like a, a wish, a blind wish or a hope that yes. something exists. So, like a so faith isn't blind, it's not a wish, 
It's not a hope. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree with all of those statements. Yeah. Joy? Um, the, the fact that it's based on facts, like, um, and so there are so many more observable facts, whereas I know I've lived my life just in opinions which is not the same as observable facts. Exactly. So it is very different to an opinion. So th these are all the things that faith isn't. It's not an opinion and it's not a belief. It's not a belief. Mm -hmm. It's not an opinion. Mm -hmm. So there are many people historically who believed that the earth was square. That's a belief. We discovered through circumnavigating the earth that it's round. That's a fact. There's a big difference between belief and fact. So we need to understand the difference. It's no good believing in something that's false. Because <laughs> that's not a fact. You can have People say that you can have faith in something that's false. I don't agree. That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. It's not the same as faith, right? Completely different. And I'm not, I'm not here to encourage you into wishful thinking. That's not what we want to do here, right? So these things, blind, wishful, hopeful, thinking, opinions, beliefs, these are all things that are not the domain of faith. Faith does not accompany these things. They are all different kinds of qualities, some of which are good. In other words, hope, having hope is a great thing. And some of which are not necessarily good like when we have a belief in something that's completely false it can mislead a lot of our life if we're not careful so that, that's not helpful so i'm not suggesting to you that you have faith in things that are not based on facts all right it's very important to understand is there any other things if we go back to graham and then come back in front of graham and then down here on the side I see the um, the analogy that you're starting to paint. Yep. That in God's universe, He's created all these, or He and She has created all these laws. Exactly. Let's say at the beginning we don't even know if it's a He or a She. No. And we don't even know if it's a God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we really start properly. Yeah. Yep. And in my investigation on the scientific side as opposed to the spiritual side yeah i found that uh, when i start to investigate the laws i think you touched on it that um, you can spend 40 years just trying to understand gravity mm -hmm. and i have a little um sort of aphorism that um everything that god creates is infinite yeah and it's but even that might be a supposition right at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. That's just something that I intuitively feel. Yeah. That he doesn't or she doesn't have limits. But that again is another is it, supposition. It's an assumption. <laughs> Can it, you see what we do? Yeah. We, we, we often start discussing things, and I know you're getting to a point, Graham, but mm. um, we often start discussing, discussing matters and we make a lot of suppositions, many of which we personally might feel that we have established but the audience themselves may not have established the person who is listening to us may not have established these particular things and can you see with every discussion unless there is some establishment of factual evidence it really is pointless to continue the discussion 
isn't it? It's, not, it's like saying, you've just got to trust that I'm talking about gravity. Now, with gravity, it's easy because it's a physical thing that we can all experience. We jump up, we fall back down to the earth. We've experienced that in that moment. Ah, you know, obviously, there's a law in place that controls that, and it's a fact. It controls it a certain way on earth every single time, and that's a fact. Right? And unless we engage another law, right, which they've actually found... You know, there were calculations done in the 1800s. You know how a lot of people used to strap feathers to their... and, and flap and hope to fly? Well, a man, a, a, a scientist in the 1800 found that he could make some calculations about whether that would be possible. And actually, he finished up calculating that it's impossible for a person to strap a heap of feathers to themselves and try to lift their own weight off the ground through the power of their own arms. Through mathematical formula. Every single thing that becomes a fact can be justified through some kind of mathematical or scientific process. That make sense? Is there any point you wanted to make, though? Yes, so as yeah. we discover the facts relating to these laws, yep. um, there's the analogy that we become, we get more faith through experience of those laws. Yes, well, I want to take the analogy of faith a lot further than that, actually, because we want to break it up. So what, when we talk about faith, and this is where I'm leading towards, is we want to see what is involved with faith completely, not just this, discuss, this initial discussion. So what I'm illustrating firstly is with regard to physical laws, most of us have quite a strong and, in fact, such a developed faith with these physical laws that we know them as certainty. In other words, faith is no longer necessary because now we know for certain that that belief is true. We don't know everything about it necessarily, but from an experiential perspective, we do know that it's true or certain. And we have complete trust in its operation. So much so that we're willing to send people from the Earth 250,000 kilometres away from the Earth to the Moon and back again, knowing that they'll be able to come back. And the, the astronauts who were coming back had complete confidence in the laws, knowing that those laws would bring them back home, as long as they engaged the laws correctly. Now, in their case, they had to engage lots of laws. They had to engage laws about... What, what they would be able to do in terms of manoeuvring the craft, how they would land on the moon, how they would exit the moon, how they'd land back on Earth. They had to engage all the laws and principles of slingshotting around and acceleration, principles of gravity controlling all of these particular things. There were huge amounts of laws that were engaged in one operation. And yet, we could do it with complete confidence that it was going to come about, it, was going, it would be certain. And we're over here next, aren't we? AJ, the facts start in your mind, don't they? And then the faith comes from your soul? Well, this opens? is one thing I want to talk about, is that, is that before these laws were discovered, somebody had some kind of feeling, didn't they, mm. that they were able to be discovered, mm. right? And, and so they might not have known the laws of aerodynamics, for example, but they had a feeling that they could be discovered. Yes. They didn't even know all the laws of gravity. They didn't know that the, they could measure it, for example. 
but somebody had a feeling that that could be discovered too. Yes. Yes. So where did this feeling come from? Right? Mm. Now these feelings don't just come from our mind. Because there's all sorts of places they come from. Even little children have these feelings. And they don't necessarily have a developed mind enough to engage those particular feelings. So these feelings come from other places, obviously. Which, let's call it our soul, shall we? Because mm. we don't even know whether we've got one, do we? No, <laughs> if we really approach the universe around us in a completely as a completely blank slate we don't know anything when we begin and there's things that we learn through the process of experimenting and flirting if you like with the laws that are involved discovering the laws that's that's the key part now there is a relationship between this and faith and and then I want to talk about spiritual faith now Graham made a comment just earlier that he felt there was a separation between science and faith. I cannot agree with that. I believe that there is no separation between any scientific principle and faith and spiritual development and physical development and soul-based development. All of them, to me, are all based upon law. That means they are all based upon facts. Now, if they're all based upon facts, it's just a matter of whether I'm willing to engage an experiment to discover the facts that matters. And if I'm not willing to engage the experiment, then it's highly likely that I won't discover all the facts. But if I'm willing to engage the experimentation process, then it is highly likely that I will discover more and more and more facts as a result. Those facts will lead me to having faith about new things that I didn't have faith about before. And then I have a desire to develop and find out about those facts that govern the operation of those particular things. So I see it as, a, as all aspects of our life are completely based upon facts. And in fact, if it's not based upon facts or reality, my suggestion to you is that it's just an opinion, it's blind and wishful thinking, and it's pointless as well. You're far better off not having an opinion, right? Rather than holding on to an opinion that is not based upon a fact. Because often a person who doesn't have an opinion is willing to receive the fact before a person who has a preconceived opinion. And this is a problem that we find with most of our development on the planet. We, we finish up developing a certain process down a certain path and then everybody starts believing that's the fact and that's the only fact. And as a result, we stop investigating. We stop investigating the new facts, the new truths, the, the laws that govern these particular things. And when we stop investigating, what do we do? We stagnate. It, not only just ourselves, the whole of humanity stagnates in different areas as a result of the whole of humanity having a concept that is fixed in a certain belief system that is not necessarily a fact. Now, I'll give you an example of that. There are people today, like the medical profession today, will tell you that, the, and this is the majority of them, will tell you that every physical sickness has a physical cause. And scientists are constantly focused on finding the causes of physical diseases so that they can fix them with a physical solution. Right? How many of you are sick? 
right? And do these physical solutions, they do help, do they not? Temporarily, many times. But we still grow old and we still die anyway. Um, so that, that doesn't seem to be stopped at any point. Although scientists are even working on that now. Like how to fix up that gene that's in our body, the death gene that causes our body to go into this place of not replicating its cell structure properly and, di and dying. They're even working on that because there's physical laws associated with that too. But if we examine all of these physical laws, we are so focused on the physical that we forget that might, there might be, just the concept in our mind, we forget, there might be other laws that govern this. Other laws that we're not aware of that are governing what's really going on. Right. Now, if we're, if we're not a blind person who you know, has a lot of wishful thinking and we believe in things and have opinions about things that might be true or might not be true, and we rub all that out and we stop, we stop worrying about all of that, right? Thank you for the board cleaners, by the way. That was really good. Um, then we would be willing to engage in experiments to find out the truth about the matter. However, if all of us collectively decide at a certain point in time that we've already found out all the truth that we need to know about those particular things or we all believe that such truth is not available at all then you can see that no one is going to stretch the limits and move into a new domain of law that we have previous that is previously undiscovered now the reason why I love the scientific uh, principles is because I'm a scientist myself. The trouble is, on Earth at the moment, there's no university that you can get the kind of degree that I'm interested in. Right? Now, the reason why I say that is because I have always, all of my life, been interested in the principles governing the, the laws that control the individual person and what happens to the individual person. Now, I discovered quite early in my life in the first century, I understood these principles. While I did not know that gravity was 9.8 metres per second per second in terms of its acceleration, I did understand the principle of gravity and I saw that as a fact, as a law. And then I knew that there were laws that we had not yet discovered. But the laws... All of those laws I saw were attributed to the physical existence of man. And I started thinking, what if there's a whole other existences of man? Like, what if there's a spiritual existence of man? And by spiritual, I didn't use that term. I used the term, what happens is when the physical body dies, what happens if life continues on. So we now call that the spiritual, if you like, life of man. But then I went even further and said, what happens if there's this thing underneath, this thing underneath all of these things that I came up to term the soul, but many people before me had called the soul, so, so my interest wasn't generated by, uh, it all came up in my mind that I thought, oh, maybe there is such a thing as a soul. 
I just looked at all of the writings that I could read and all the different things that I read in the prophets of the Bible and things like that in the first century. And I thought, hmm, maybe there is a soul too. And maybe there is a spirit body as well as the physical body. And while I knew there were physical laws, it made sense to me that there must also be spiritual laws. And there must also be laws that govern the soul. Now that's a fairly logical supposition, isn't it? Given the fact that we all are bound by physical laws, it would make sense that if there is a spiritual existence or a spiritual part of man, that there must be a whole set of laws that govern that. And it would also make sense that there, if there is a soul-based part of man, that there must be a whole set of laws that govern that. And so I set about through my relationship with God to discover those laws. that make sense? Now it's a pretty logical decision don't you think? Right? It's amazing how many of us don't decide to do it though. But it is a very logical decision and to me it doesn't and I know Rob you just said courageous to me it didn't feel like any courage whatsoever because I just felt like well no I've trusted these physical laws all of my life why would I not trust that there would be other laws governing these other parts of us? Of course it makes sense, logically. Right? So there are laws that govern these other parts of us. And it just requires that people set about trying to find them. Doesn't it? Like being willing to undertake the experiments that finish up finding these particular laws that govern them. Um. I could, I could accept that if there's physical laws, there's spiritual laws and soul laws, but what I can't get to is how do you go, how did you discover from physical to spiritual to soul? You, you know, how did you get from there to there to there? Exactly, that's a very good question. And the answer is really simple. I realised that if there was so much law, there had to be somebody who created them. So all of those things told me that if there were laws that govern my physical existence, which I could see in operation all the time, and I could feel in operation all the time, and I could engage with trust, complete trust, and I then assumed that there must be the same for the spiritual and soul-based conditions, I, just, I thought, well, this is proof, and in fact, to me, it is one of the major proofs of the existence of God. Because the theoret theoretically, if God didn't exist, then we live in an anarchy-based universe. And in an anarchy-based universe, there would be no laws, theoretically. The fact that there are laws that govern our universe tends to indicate that there was a person who formulated these particular laws. Do you see the relationship? And most people don't see the relationship, actually, I feel. Most people don't understand that if, if, if we are governed by laws that are, that are solid and firm, then why, and in fact in our country, if you think about it, here in Australia, we have hundreds of thousands of laws, who created them? Now they govern, they don't govern even our physical existence, most of them. They are just figments of our imagination, but they do control our lives because we all agree to observe them. In this case, what I observed was that whether we chose to observe these laws or not, we were forced into observing them. So the person who decides to step off a cliff 
without the aid of aerodynamics, found that gravity had its effect. It was an immutable law of God. It was something that would not and could not be changed under any circumstance unless there was a higher law which negated its effect. Do you follow that? So the law of gravity can, in our case at the moment, a man's case at the moment, the law of gravity can be negated through these laws of aerodynamics. Can you see that? And, and when I say negated, it's not like the law of gravity ceases to operate. The law of gravity continues its operation. But the law of aerodynamics, being a powerful law in itself, can overcome the forces of gravity under certain circumstances. And all we had to do was discover the circumstances. Somebody had to do a heap of experiments, sometimes at the result of the loss of their own life, in order to discover the circumstance. Do you know with the Wright brothers, they were never married. They didn't have children. Both Orville and Wilbur Wright didn't get married. They didn't have children. And they made an agreement with their father that they would never fly together. Can you see why? Because they had all this knowledge about the laws of aerodynamics and they, and they thought if both of us die at the same time then the development of these laws would all be halted or made stagnant. Right? So they decided instead to have one fly one time, one fly the next time, one fly the next time and so forth and there was only one time in their entire life where they flew together. And they did have accidents, by the way. Uh, there was a time, a couple of years after their first flights, when uh, I think it was Wilbur um, had, a, had a quite a large accident and he was flying with a passenger and his passenger died. So it's not like they didn't have trouble in the process of the discovery of these laws and putting them into application. But if you think about it, they were willing to engage the experiments. Now, what I'm suggesting is... It makes sense, if there is laws that govern the physical universe, they had to have came from some source. There has to be something that backed them up, created them. And it also made sense to me that the same source that created the physical laws probably also created the spiritual laws that govern our existence. So the same source. And the same source that controlled our spiritual existence also created the laws that controlled our soul and so it made sense to me that that would be the same source. And then I made one assumption and it's a very simple assumption. What if that source is good? And what if that source wants to share the truth about all these laws with me? And then it made sense to me. I, I started going, ah, maybe my better option was to stop trying to find the individual laws and to focus on the source of them first. Because the laws involving the source would actually probably tell me a lot about all the other laws. Does that make sense? And so from that time on, I focused my attention in finding out 
the laws that govern my connection with the source. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not the source calling. It's the first time I've ever seen him use a phone anyway. <laughs> okay. So, can you see from a logical perspective, it makes complete sense to actually firstly in your life experiment with the laws that govern your interaction with the source of all laws than it does to actually experiment with the laws that that source has created. Now what mankind does, and we've become addicted to doing this by the way, We've decided to forget about the source because we believe, most of us believe, that such a connection with the source where the source wants to tell us everything is not possible. Can you see? We've told ourselves a belief and in the process of telling ourselves this belief, we have closed down all investigation or experiments into that. And we've given up the process of experimenting in that particular area. So instead what we've done is we've focused more of our attention on trying to discover the laws themselves. Now, given an eternal and everlasting and infinite universe, which science has now discovered is, is continuously expanding, given that, it would make sense that if it's continually expanding and it's infinite, that it would make sense that the laws that are created within this universe are probably also, if not expanding, already infinite in number. And I don't know about you, but discovering 40 years, if I spend 40 years studying the law of gravity, right, and then 40 years on the law of aerodynamics, and then 40 years on the, who knows what other laws I might be discovering. Can you see my life might be chewed up pretty rapidly? Particularly my life on earth. And then let's say I pass into the spirit world, which I know exists, but let's not assume that it exists, because most people don't assume it exists. There's only 80 years for most people to discover most of these laws. And so what do they do? They go, that's all a waste of time. I might as well just have some fun. Right? And this is where a lot of our viewpoints of life come from. This idea that it's impossible for us to discover everything, so why bother trying to discover anything? Why not just live in it? And many of us have chosen to do that, actually. Many people on the planet choose to do that. But I'm suggesting that if the physical laws are infinite in nature, the spiritual laws are infinite in nature, it would make sense that that's the case, and the soul-based laws might be infinite in nature too, then boy, that's going to be a lot of my time chewed up trying to find out about these laws. And in the end, I still won't know the source. I still won't know the source of the laws. And what if I have the option of knowing the source of the laws and the source of the laws tells me all the laws? Yeah, that would be a much better option, I feel. And that is where I feel it's a much more logical thing to try to do, to, to work out whether there is such a thing as a connection with the source. Okay. But if we get back to our discussion about faith, can you see that the kind of faith I'm speaking of is not the kind of faith that is blind, 
It's not the kind of faith that's just a belief system without any backing. It's not the kind of faith that's just a concept in your own imagination. But it's actually based on reality. It's based on scientific, verifiable facts. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. Does that make sense? Graham? Um, I see there's a problem with facts. Um, sure. And that, you know, people, some people choose to believe some things as facts and other people will choose to believe they're not facts. Yeah, and see, I'm not speaking of that. What I'm speaking about is what is the actual fact. Yes, I know, but you're quoting science all the time and even scientists can't agree. Like I was reading in The Australian this morning how a few decades ago scientists were saying that the fact was that people with schizophrenia um, were no more likely to be violent than normal people. And now scientists are saying, oh, they can be up to nine times more violent than normal people. So what scientifically agreed was facts a few decades ago was different to what is scientifically agreed now. I agree, but if somebody didn't do the experiment trying to find more facts, we would never know that. But like the, the, if you have a belief in something, you tend to um, find facts that support that belief. But, but sooner or later, with the way God's universal laws work, you can, if you have a sincere desire to experiment, you will soon find out through a process that everything that you previously believed about that particular thing might be wrong. So I can't see how that is different to what I'm saying. It just seems to me it's um, a long, drawn-out process discovering what are actually the facts. Oh, I agree. I agree. Like with the law of aerodynamics, it was a 3,700-year process. So I don't, I'm not disputing that it's a long process. What I'm saying, though, is that in the end, we now trust it with our very lives, do we not? Right? And we know it to be a fact because we experience it. And, and it's very different experiencing it than just theorizing about it. And what I would suggest to you is that the first example you gave were people just theorizing without having the facts at their disposal. But once they measured the facts by getting all the so-called schizophrenic people together and working out what happened with their life, once they could measure the facts, then they realized that that original postulation was incorrect. And this is okay, I feel. It's the discovery of facts like that. Yeah, I know, and I agree with you totally. I'm not trying to... Um... So what's the emotional problem you have with it? Um... Can you see the emotional problem you have with it is you, you don't want to take that long. <laughs> Can you see that? And you want to know what is the actual fact right now. Yeah. And I'm telling you it's impossible for anybody to give you that information. Even God can't give you that information, given the current development. All future discovery will be a process. No one here... Now, again, it's logical. And this is something I feel you don't really understand at the soul level. And many of you do not understand this at the soul level. Because if you did, you wouldn't be so frightened about hearing truth. <laughs> and you wouldn't be so frightened about making mistakes. Because if you understood at the soul level that your life from now on is going to be a process of discovery of new things, you wouldn't, 
you wouldn't decide to wait around until somebody tells you the truth of it. You'd be a part of the discovery. Does that make sense? Many of us don't do that. And the reason why we don't do that is because we're afraid. And this is where our fear has a major impact upon our willingness to engage the process of our life. If you truly understood the truth that, th that we live in an infinite universe and that only God knows everything, because God is the source, the one who created it, if we understand that fact, then we would not be so hung up about the fact that we don't know things. And we would not be so hung up about making mistakes. We'd be perfectly okay with making mistakes. M many of you are not okay with making mistakes at all. right? I know that because when, I when you ask me for my opinion about earth changes, for example, and I tell you I, this is what I feel today, you then go away hoping it's a fact. What have I just said about opinions? What did I say opinions were? They're just suppositions, but what are they? They are not facts. <laughs> when you ask me for my opinion about something, and if I don't know if it's a fact, I tell you, well, this is my opinion at the time, and yet you go away thinking or wanting it to be a fact. That's totally ludicrous. Why would you do such a thing? I know certain things are facts because I've had my own experience with those particular things and faith is one of those things that I know is a fact right? that we're talking about today. Tomorrow we'll be talking about prayer and I know it works as a fact. I've had a whole life of it as a fact. 2,000 years of life of it as a fact. I know it works. I know what it does. These are facts that I'm presenting to you. That's different than you asking me for my opinion about what might happen in the future. I've got no idea. That's a fact. <laughs> I've got no idea. I only have an opinion, just like you might have one. Does that make sense? Because nobody would know that as a fact, except perhaps God, who created all the laws involved that create the future. But I don't know. I cannot predict your future. Many of us want the prediction of a future. Why? Because we're afraid to engage our day-to-day -day life, discovering and experimenting with our life to determine what the facts are. Does that make sense? That's why we, we don't engage. And this is the problem that we have. So opinions are not worth much. So when the, when the scientific community says, we believe, da -da 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 -da, to me they are just presenting their opinion without knowing the full facts yet. And so I'm not, I'm not totally addicted to going, well, that means that's true and that's, uh, I can base my whole life on that. And I would say to you and suggest to you that you're very unwise doing the same. Because there is so much more for us to discover. And that makes sense. In an in a infinite universe, it makes sense that we were, we're going to have more to discover. Does it not? Every single day there will be more to discover. Do you want to engage the discovery? Or are you just going to sit back and have your experiential life without this go, this, discovering more? Waiting for other people to do all the discoveries for you. And the irony is, 
Who's the person that's going to enjoy those discoveries the most? Is the person who discovers them. Not you. Right? And that's a fact. <laughs> the reason why that's a fact is because the people who come along afterwards have not had to go through the process. And since they have not had to go through the process, they don't have a full appreciation of what's involved in understanding these facts. And if you don't have a full appreciation, you don't have gratitude and you don't really engage it. So I'm suggesting that unless you're willing to live your life like this, as an experiment, and unless you're willing to discover more and more and more of God's laws as an experiment for you personally, you are not going to have the same kind of joy as a person who does those things. There's also another reason, and that is this. If I'm, if I'm a person who's a pianist, and I'm playing the piano, and I play it beautifully. And you go, and you come up to me and you say, I would love to be able to play the piano like you do. And I can tell you as a fact that you are able to play the piano as good as anyone who's ever lived. Huh? Now that's a fact. But is it ever going to be your reality? Unless you have some faith that you can make it your fact. You see, just because facts are presented to you, it does not mean that you believe them or that they will affect your life in a positive direction. So a person can get up in front of you like this and tell you fact after fact. But unless you personally engage something where you want to experience that particular thing, you will not ever have the benefit of those facts in your personal life. Joy? Um, it just doesn't seem very efficient. Like the Wright brothers discovered the rules of the laws of aerodynamics, and we all benefit from those. Mm -hmm. And so we can't rely on Jesus to discover all the laws of the soul. And the By the way, they didn't discover all the laws of aerodynamics. Oh, okay. It did start a long time. It started many, many thousands of years prior to them, in fact. So there was a succession of people who had that desire. Yes. And they discovered those laws. All with limited lifetimes. And now we all benefit. What I'm saying is that we don't need to discover the laws of aerodynamics for ourselves. No, but... but but when you fly, you certainly appreciate knowing them and understanding them as a fact, do you not? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm still feeling like, um, well, to me, the fast track is to find Jesus because he's worked out all the laws of <laughs> the spirit life and the soul and learn them from him as opposed to... But what to I'm saying is myself. even if you find Jesus and you listen to every single thing he says, which is quite difficult, as you know... <laughs> From personal experience. Um, and apply absolutely everything. Unless you, unless you engage a process that he describes, you will never know these things as a fact. Does that make sense? So, so this is the problem. Now, don't take the analogy too far with this physical thing that I'm talking about. Because there's, we've got to get into the discussion about faith and what that really is as a part of this. But it's important for you to realise that you can listen to somebody present to you fact after fact after fact after fact and have no appreciation for it whatsoever. 
have no appreciation for how it's going to change your life in any way, have no appreciation of how it's going to affect your future, and have very little desire to engage any of it. That's a fact too. You can choose to do all of that. Right? So it requires more than just the presentation of facts and listening to somebody present facts to you before you will engage the process of changing your own life. Far more. And this is where faith is involved. Which is proven by the fact that we've listened to you for four years and not necessarily done the first thing that you've shared with us. Yes, many of you come up to me four years later and go, you know that thing you said four years ago? I'm just realising that I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and I go, yeah, that's right. That, that's what it's like unless you engage this other process which we want to talk to you about. And, and, and what I'm illustrating to you, and already you as an audience are starting to see the flaws with the normal types of faith. So what I'm talking about is this faith based on facts, but you're starting to see the flaws. The flaws are, well, the trouble is I only have a certain amount of facts. So at any one point in time, I've only got a limited number of facts. I haven't got all the facts, right? So therefore, I don't know all the reality. I only know a limited reality. You're starting to see that, right? You, you're also starting to see that unless you personally experience something, while it might be a fact, it doesn't mean it's a fact for you, right? So, so it might be a fact in terms of how the universe operates and how everything works, but it might not be a fact for you personally until you go through some kind of different process. Does that make sense? And this is, why, why, this is why we start presenting facts after fact after fact after fact. And many of you now have come to long enough sessions to have quite a lot of facts presented to you, right? But some of you have done that without changing at all. Why? Because it has yet to be engaged something inside of you that causes you to desire to actually take some action based upon these facts. So now we're starting to see that there is a relationship between the fact, the, the actual reality, and whether you will choose to act upon them. Isn't that interesting? Facts, facts. Hmm. Funny the English language sometimes, right? You see, you see, quite often we are presented with fact after fact after fact in our personal life. And God's doing this, by the way, with you every single moment of every single day of your entire existence, whether it's here on earth or in the spirit world. God is presenting you fact after fact after fact after fact. So when you have an accident, you know, like I did this morning, I had an accident, I was just working on a... On a on a redundant array server <laughs> and it had a very sharp edge and it cut me across there and I go, hmm, that's an interesting fact. God is just telling me something here, this accident, no accident happens by chance. I've learnt that enough about all of the other laws to know that me cutting myself on my left hand just before a seminar and having to patch myself up with super glue so that I don't bleed everywhere has some kind of Significance. Does that make sense? And I've just got to find what that is. Right? I've just got to find what that is. Now, often we can listen to a whole group of facts and never act upon any of them. Right? What are the facts you act upon? 
have you given that much thought? I'm not asking what ones they are. I'm asking what group of facts do you act upon? Well, let's... let's uh, Tris? Come to Tris. Usually the ones I'm not afraid of. The ones you're not afraid of? Yes, let's make a bit of a list here. The ones we're not afraid of. Angela, thanks. Uh, family beliefs? Yeah, but I would say that a lot of them aren't facts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about the actual facts that you act, act upon. What are the ones you act upon? Helga, thanks. The ones that keep me inside of my comfort zone? Well, let's not analyse it too much. What is it about the ones that, are, that make you comfortable? What, what, what is it? The ones that I already know. No, the ones you already know, but some of the ones that you don't know you act upon, so that's not always the case. But, but think back to your comfort zone thing. What is it there? You like them, don't yes. you? Yes, my addiction. And your like of them causes you to act upon them. Isn't that true? And that's what causes us to act. You see, in, in, the way God's doing, presenting us the truth is that God's presenting us the truth of millions of facts. So many facts that we don't know them all. And, and one person in a lifetime can never even discover hardly any of them. And what causes us to act upon them is not the facts themselves. It's if we feel there is a personal benefit to acting upon it. And if we feel there's a personal benefit, we will act upon it. But if we don't feel there's a personal benefit, then we will not act upon it. Can you see that? Huh? Hi, Jesus. Hey, Norma. Good, thanks. Um, you said something a long time ago that I... Um, I don't think I had faith in, but I hoped. And over the time, I verbalised that hope, mm -hmm. I felt. Yep. Um, and, and God in... And I haven't acted on it, really, although I verbalised it to other people. And other people were convinced that I had total faith in it, I believe, at the mm -hmm. time. But God in my law of attraction showing me now it's the truth. Yeah. So... Well, this is what we want to talk about more. How these things, how faith, hope, and finish up trust, which is the end result where we have full, complete confidence, how these things are all related and what motivates. But what we're trying to get at at this point, and, and this is an important point that I'm trying to make, is that your deciding to act doesn't depend upon the facts so much. It depends upon whether you feel there's a personal benefit. Right? That's what it depends upon. So many of you are willing to act upon things that are not facts because you believe there's a personal benefit. Right? And many of you are willing to actually try to break God's facts in order to get the personal benefit. Right? And that's a problem if we're really ever going to become harmonious with the laws that govern our very existence. So a lot of the times what we're trying to do 
is we're not really trying to discover law. You know what we're most of us trying to do instead? We're trying to do this. Are we not? Is it two L's? That's what we're trying to do most of the time. And why do we try to do that? Because we do not believe that finding and discovering more laws that God has created will give us freedom. We believe what it will do is constrain us. We believe it's going to restrict us further by knowing the laws. And so we've come up with this term. You know the term. It says, Ig... Ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Is that the term that we offer the news? I can tell you as a fact that ignorance is not bliss. Bliss is knowing all of the laws and living by them. That's bliss. Right? So it's not ignorance that's, a, that's bliss. It's knowing everything, all the laws that govern your existence and living by them. That brings you bliss. Yeah. We come down in front to Jennifer. Wouldn't it be more um, wanting to live by the laws is bliss? Because like, I can live by the laws, but I can be really... You know, angry about it or anxious about it. Or... But the reality is, Jennifer, and this is something that you've yet to really understand, I feel. The reality is that if you want to break the law while you're living by the law, you will never experience the bliss that comes from living by the law. Because there's a law that governs that as well. Does that make sense? And most of us have yet to discover the laws that cause our own pain as a result of our own rebellion or not even as a result of our rebellion. Many of us are reluctant and, and obeyers. We reluctantly obey, right? How many of you would classify as a person that reluctantly obeys? You think about the laws of the land. How many of them do you reluctantly obey? <laughs> yeah, you, you imagine. So God's made this beautiful universe full of laws that are all created that will allow us to experience bliss if we engage every one of them. But the majority of us are not interested in finding the physical ones. We're not interested in finding the spiritual ones. And we're not interested in finding the soul-based laws because we want to be a rebel without a cause. <laughs> and there is no reason for doing it, but we want to be a rebel. And, and the things we can't rebel against without getting the real problem, we reluctantly obey. Now, under those circumstances, you are never going to experience bliss. Ever. Mary? Uh, I also feel we'll never experience faith. Exactly. Because it seems to me that faith comes when we experience the facts, not when we hear them. Yes. And if we reluctantly, if, if our heart really wants to rebel, 
then we never actually experience faith. We never experience the fact which builds our faith. Exactly. Yeah. And that for that reason, the majority of you here in the audience have no faith in anything that I've presented to you. Isn't that interesting? Because you're yet to want to want to experience it. You see? You reluctantly engage it many times. You go, oh, there's a law of attraction again in my <laughs> life, right? And you get all upset about it, like as if God's making a mistake. God made a mistake with that law, you know. <laughs> I'm getting this attraction and my soul attracted it. I know that. What? I wish I never heard that. I wish I never heard that my soul attracts these events. Right? We were having a conversation the other day with someone who was just angry that they were attracting that thing. Yeah, that's the, that's the rebellion, you know. You, you don't want to accept that, that there's a law involved that's perfect and it's only our disharmony with it that causes these attractions. We don't want to accept that, right? Then we go, no, no, it's not my fault. If it's not your fault, then whose fault is it? Like if you're attracted something into your personal life and it's not your fault, then whose fault is it? Well, to be honest, most of you believe it's God's fault. He shouldn't have made the law. If he, made, if he made the law different, I'd have a different outcome, is the way that we often view it, right? But, but we don't understand. The law of gravity has, is fact, but it has some beautiful results, eh? Yeah. It, it, it meant that your very life lasted longer than about 25 seconds. Because otherwise you would have popped out a mum and flown off into space. Right? That's a loving outcome. You had a longer life than 25 seconds. And there goes the law of gravity, another loving outcome, right? right? And the law of aerodynamics have loving outcomes. Even all the physical laws have loving outcomes. Why wouldn't you then assume that all of the other laws that govern the other parts of your existence all also have loving outcomes if you understand them and engage them? Why wouldn't you assume this? Because you know what? We're totally addicted to having what we believe are our desires met. And so we only listen to the facts that meet up with our desires. We are totally dismissive of all the other facts. Including dismissive of the very facts of what's happening to our life. Right? So we get a sore or some you know, ache here, a pain there, whatever. We're, we're totally dismissive of these facts that are being presented to us, not understanding. And the reason why we're dismissive, because we want to rebel. We're reluctant obeyers of the law. The majority of us have to work on that. Because, because if you truly want to ever have any faith about God and the future, you're going to have to learn to move from being a reluctant obeyer into wanting to understand the law and obey it because it's the desire to understand the law and obey it that's given us the beautiful things that it's already given us. So we benefit from somebody deciding that they wanted to understand the law of aerodynamics. Right? How many of you would have ever flown on your own desire if you didn't if we, somebody else didn't discover the law of aerodynamics, how many of you would have attempted to go through what 
say, Whitehead, George Whitehead went through or, or the Wright brothers went through, where you spent a whole life discovering one particular thing just so you could do it. How many of you would be willing to do that? I suggest not very many of us. There are some of us, but not very many of us that are willing to do that. And the reason why is because we feel certain things about law. We feel it's going to restrict us. Now, that, that is, there is no real reason why we could ever think that. Every time mankind has discovered a physical law, it has always resulted, that, that's an actual fact of the universe, it has always resulted in more freedom for mankind. So how can you then go, if I discover or know about a law that applies to me personally, that's going to result in less freedom? How can you do that? You can't. Not logically. Right? Can I just move on though? So let's uh, move on to the point that I'm trying to make about faith, shall we? So we've seen this relationship now, that there are physical, spiritual and possible, possibly there are physical laws, we know that for a certain. Possibly there's spiritual laws and possibly there's soul-based laws and somebody has to do some experiments <laughs> to find out. Right? Otherwise, none of us are ever going to find out. And what I'm suggesting to you is what's going to, what is going to make you be one of those people that experiment? You're going to have to see somehow that there is a personal benefit to doing it. Because that's the only thing that's going to drive you to do it. Right? Now the problem with most uh, religious philosophies on the planet is that there does not seem much personal benefit to follow them because they feel restrictive. They feel like they're imposing more and more you know, constraints upon you generally. And that's why for the majority of people, they feel like, I don't want to know more about religion. Every time I find out something more, it feels like there's another restriction on me and another and another and another and another. And, and in fact, there are whole books written about what restrictions should apply to an average person with faith. But if we examine faith generally on the planet, and now I'm speaking more about faith, about the bigger things in the universe. So, so I've, I've illustrated at this point that we all have faith in physical things. And our day-to-day -day lives are proof of the faith that we have in physical things. Very few of us have faith in spiritual things, and almost none of us have faith in soul-based things. That's the reality. And what I'm suggesting is to gain the faith there's got to be some kind of experiments and our focus needs to change. Instead of focusing on the physical as we do and we experiment often every single day with the physical, instead of doing that we need to start experimenting with the spiritual and with the soul-based things that we're attempting to experiment with. And there has to be a reason for you to do it. Because without the reason, you won't do it. Without there being some desire that causes you to move forward in this regard, you won't do it. And it doesn't matter how many facts are presented to you about the spiritual, and it doesn't matter how many facts are presented to you about the soul, you will not do anything about them. You will not. 
unless you believe there is a personal advantage to doing it. Right? If there's no personal advantage, then there's little point in doing it, is the way most of us would feel. Now, some of us have the more collective viewpoint in, the say, in, in that we say, if there is no advantage to humankind, then I wouldn't do it. But that's just an extension of the individual restriction that we've placed. And what I'm, I'm stating is that if we are truly ever going to experiment with what is going on with our life and what's actually happening in terms of God's laws and so forth, what we need to start doing is experimenting with the truths of the universe rather than just focusing on the physical. And I'm suggesting there are far more truths than the physical. But let's uh, look at the relationship between this now. We've decided and we've established that there are physical laws. And those physical laws, the more of which we've discovered, have created freedom to a degree. In the process of discovering freedom, they give us more joy in our life, supposedly, in some cases. But isn't it fantastic that you can go from one country to another country and see the world now? When, when 100 years ago to do that, you had to do it by a ship. You know, and for the previous 5,000 years, you had to do it by a ship and you had to be pretty brave. Right? Because a lot of the ships weren't that stable right? and safe. And yet now we can just say, oh, I'd like to go to Bali. You know, fork out a few hundred bucks to, to whomever carrier is going to carry us. And they've engaged all of the laws involved, getting us safely from Australia to Bali and back home again. We can go there in two weeks. And when we say in two weeks, I'm not saying that it takes two weeks to get there. It takes, what, four or five hours to get there? And then we're back home. You know, we spend all of the time enjoying that particular location and come home. So it has improved our joy and our freedom these physical laws. And I'm suggesting to you that the discovery of spiritual laws results in even greater freedom with even greater joy. And I'm suggesting to you that discovery of soul-based laws results in the most intense freedom you can ever experience and therefore the most intense joy you will ever have. That's what I'm suggesting. But the problem is most of us don't believe it. And your day-to-day -day life is fact that you don't believe it actually. If you look at the amount of time you spend engaging any of these laws in an understanding manner in your day-to-day -day life, what would you find? Remember uh, in the previous talk I said, what is your treasure? We talked about what is your treasure. And I said, add up the amount of time you spend on something and that's how dedicated you are to finding out about that particular thing. All right, so let's look at the amount of time we spend discovering new physical laws. How many of you do that? Discovering new physical laws. How much time in a week would you spend? For the majority of us, it would be zero hours on that. <laughs> because we're very reliant on... That's A scientist does that for me. You know, we, we, we're reliant on other people doing it, aren't we? 
Right? So, so, so we do zero hours. How, many time, how much time do we spend trying to discover the spiritual laws of the universe? You know, these are the kind of things that affect like the relationship between the spirit body and the material body. What happens in my spirit body? What happens in my physical body? What the, what's going on between these two bodies? How is it that my physical body gets disease? How is that related to my spirit body somehow? What's going on in my spirit body that causes those particular things? All of these kind of investigations communicating with people who have passed, you know, that people who live in the spirit form only, seeing them, connecting with them, sharing moments with them. In a conscious manner, how many hours a week, would, uh, on the average, would we spend doing that? For many of us, it's the zero there too, right? <laughs> right? But, but let's say for some of you, it's not the case, so you might spend a few hours a week, let's say. All right. Now, can you see, we're not going to end up finding out very much with this kind of a lifestyle, right? But, but let's go on to the soul-based laws. So this is the kind of thing where we're experimenting with how the soul affects the spirit body and how the soul affects the material body and what things inside of the soul are working and what laws can I discover that govern the operation of my own soul and govern how my soul works and exists and, and experiences things in the universe and how information is fed into the soul, how the soul union can be engaged, how the soul, other half of your soul can be engaged and so forth. How many hours a week would the average, average person spend on that, do you think? Well, again, it's probably zero. <laughs> right? Now, for many of you, you've now started that process, yes? But if we're sincere about it, we're probably only spending a few hours a week. Right, many of us, right? So we might spend two or three hours a week doing it. How many hours do you spend eating? <laughs> For a lot of us, we'd like to eat the whole day. <laughs> we graze, shall we say. Right. But if you compare the amount of time, let's look at it. Let's say brekkie is quarter of an hour, lunch is uh, 20 minutes, half an hour maybe. Dinner time, we might spend a, a half an hour to an hour on that. It's about what, one and a half, two hours a day. Let's say two hours a day times by seven days a week, 14 hours. We spend more hours eating than we do discovering the very laws that govern our entire existence. Right? How, many, how many hours do you spend having a cup of coffee? Zero? Cup of tea? <laughs> Can you see that quite often we are engaged in the things that we believe we're benefiting from but the reality is that we as a human race and personally would benefit far more from the examination of these laws than we can even imagine at this point in time and yet we don't engage the process we don't engage the process why don't we engage the process because we do not have faith That's why we don't engage the process. We do not believe truly in our heart that engaging the process of the discovery of these things will bring us any personal benefit. Right? And this is the kind of faith we're going to have to develop if we're truly going to change. We're going to have to have the faith where these things, the discovery of all the things 
to do that are facts, by the way. These are facts of the universe. There are facts that govern the physical universe. There are facts that govern the spiritual universes. There's facts that govern the soul-based universes, all of which are important to your future existence. And unless you develop some kind of faith which incorporates a desire to discover them, you will never change. You will never discover them. You, when I say you'll never change, of course you will change because the whole of God's laws are governed towards you changing. Sooner or later, you're going to have to change, even if you don't want to, but it's going to be a slow, laborious process unless you engage this faith. Now, in the pageant messages, there's a very, very short message uh, by Solomon. And myself and Mary have discussed it, and we've placed a recording of it on the internet, which you will see probably arrive there next week. Um, it's a, it's a message from Solomon from 1915 that was given in the Paget messages. But basically it says this. Paget said, What are the most important things in all the universe? Now that's a pretty big question, right? Now, can you imagine yourself sitting down there, writing to a spirit who is channeling to you, and you're saying, Please tell me what you believe are the most important things in all the universe. What would you be expecting to get as an answer? Well, Paget never expected his answer. Because Solomon said to him, three things. One on the part of God and two on the part of man. The thing on the part of God, he said, was the most important thing in all the universe was God's personal love for each individual human. The divine love. That is the most important thing in all the universe that you could ever engage. That's what Solomon said. And by the way, this is a guy who's lived three and a half thousand years. Uh, uh, actually a bit longer than that. And, and therefore has a fairly good idea that he's saying the truth. Right? And then he said, on the part of man, there are two the things that are the most important things in all the universe. You know what he said they were? The first one was faith. And the second one was prayer. He said, because divine love, God's love, is the thing that you can receive that will transform your entire life. And, and, and it leads to complete bliss. And faith and prayer are the only two things you need in order to receive it. And this is a man who has spent three and a half thousand years examining the laws of the universe. So I don't know about you, but I think it would be wise to have a listen to what he's got to say with regard to what he thinks is the most important things. Right? And he's saying that from God's perspective, the divine love is the most important thing that you will ever work your way through to experiencing in your entire life, in your entire existence. It is more important than your cup of tea and even more important than your meal, actually. It's more important than anything you can imagine in terms of transforming your life. And, and Solomon said that 
there's only two things that you need in order to receive it. Faith is one of them. And prayer, which is the longing of your heart, the desire of your heart projected towards God to receive it, is the other. They are the two things you need. And that's why, and I've, got a long, I've gotten a long way around to saying it, but that's why that has become our topic for today. And that's our topic for tomorrow. Because they are the only two things you are ever going to need in order to discover all of these things. All of these things will come to you through this process of discovery and proper application of these things. Now what I see is that many of you are worried so much about all sorts of things in your day-to-day -day life. You hear the divine truth and you get it presented to you and then what you do is you go, oh, I've got to think about the law of attraction here and I've got to work out how that's affecting me there and what addiction I'm in here and what's going on there. And No, you don't. Do you think I do all of those things? All I'm doing is telling you the truth about those things and they all influence these two things. It's the reason why we've talked about them is because they all influence these things. Your faith is so severely influenced by so many things that you'd be totally so shocked of, in fact. Right? Many of you, for example, have this feeling in you of rebellion. Remember just before I asked about that and almost everybody put their hand up about that one. Do you know how much that feeling affects your faith? You have, an, you have a direct desire to not know the truth. That's what rebellion is about. A direct desire to not understand. A direct desire to not understand the law. Right? Now do you think you're going to ever get closer to the creator of the laws if you've got a direct desire to rebel against every law that that creator created. Now, that doesn't make too much logical sense to me. And I'm sure it doesn't to you either if you think about it. But it, this is what we do. We are constantly trying to avoid the creator, the source, and avoid the experience of divine love. And as a result, we can't grow, we can't change. And one of the things Solomon said in this, in this message was this. He said, when the love comes, then faith will come along with it. So, what did he mean by that, do you think? Instead of having all of you guess, how about I just say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> What is love? How would you describe it as a quality? It's a quality. Let's describe it as an emotion. What, what, how does it feel? How does it feel to you, love? Can you describe the kinds of things that give you the feeling of love? So start with Jen. It's interesting, isn't it, that we've discussed love for five years... And when we start talking about it, we still are pretty confused. Yeah? Fire away, Jim. It cleanses and purifies. So it like yeah, see, now you're talking about its operation. I don't, I'm not wanting to know about its operation. I want to know about its feelings. What's the feeling? 
Yeah. We just come straight down, Suze, in front. For me, I think it's kind of it's a surrender. It's a giving up to. See, that's another operation. Yeah. It's not a feeling. Yeah, can we? Let's come. Let's, uh, let's go. Who hasn't had a go yet? If we go, Rochelle, right up the back, and then straight in front, and then Deb hasn't had a go yet. So. Um, from what I've experienced, it feels soft and gentle and... So it has a gentleness to it. I would agree with that. It's gentle. Softness. But that, that's sort of... Uh, like, like a pillow is soft as well, you know, like... <laughs> so I don't know, you know. And so we're coming down in front, yep. Uh, I was going to say it's softening as well, but also um, that it, it, it touches, it kind of melts the heart. It so does, but that is an operation again. Like, you know, that's similar to the operations before. Do you, do you know why you're having so much trouble knowing? Because you don't experience it very often. That's sad, eh? That just tells us how sad it really is, isn't it? If we come down to deep down, to, down here... Uh, for me, it's a feeling of security where there is no fear. It banishes it. Yeah. It, it nullifies can see, fear. Can we see it, how each of us are going down this track of going, it's not this and it's not that. And it has this operation and has that operation. But we're not actually describing the sensations, are we? In terms of qualities. Right? So we've come across to Kate and then across to Rob on this side. Pleasure. So there's a joy or a pleasure in it, isn't there? You definitely, that, that's a quality, isn't it? Joy or a pleasure in it, certainly. What kind of joy or pleasure it is, too? Like, what, what kind of joy or pleasure? Because there's flavours to it, isn't there? Robert? Okay. Uh, I feel um, supported and understood. Yep. But when somebody can understand up. you and have no love for you at all. Yeah. 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 So that doesn't necessarily guarantee love either, does it? Yeah. So, Kate, you want to? A generosity. Generous it's got a generosity pleasure. to it, yes. Where it's, shall we call it giving? All right. Yes. Next here, okay. Um, on along those lines, I was going to say it's a gift from God. It's a gift. Let's call it a gift. Right. Many of you don't see it as a gift, you see it as an expectation. That's why you don't experience it very often, right? You go, I want my husband to love me and if he runs off with another woman then he doesn't love me, that's your expectation, right? That, that didn't go down well. <laughs> it's not very peaceful to hear that. It's not very peaceful to hear that. You see, if you, if you truly loved your partner, it would not affect you when they went off with another person you would still love them if it was truly present right you would still have feelings for them of kindness compassion now this, this, these are the kind of things that we need to be listing here yeah? qualities like kindness it's compassionate yeah 
those the kind of qualities now that we're starting to that are really about love, right? And where were we? Is it okay? And if we go across the forgiving, sorry, forgiving. It's forgiving, yeah. But really, that's an operation again, isn't it? So, yeah, feelings we're looking for here. Senko, right at the back. Thanks. Um, feeling inspirational, enthusiasm. So it inspires. And you've missed out one really good one. It's about enthusiasm, but it excites you. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, how many of you go, when you were teenagers and you fell in love and you went, oh yeah, I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, as if, as if. Right, it just excites you with a pa passion, isn't it? It creates passion, longing, right? Does it not? Longing within the soul. Right? These are all the things that love does, right? Mari, if we were right up back there. And then down. Could I say bliss? Bliss, but yeah, bliss is an overused word nowadays. You know, a lot of people say they're in bliss when I look at their life and they go, yeah, you're not in bliss. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I feel we need to be more specific. Yeah. If we come down the side here. Yes. And then down the front after. For me, it often is electrifying and enlivens. You know, like, like the whole body comes alive and I can't sit still. It's like there's a million things going on and even though I'm really tired, I can't possibly sleep because I'm just so alive. Yeah, exactly. It just it is like that, isn't it? Come down. Um, it feels delicate and sweet to me. Sweet, yeah, delicate. Nice words, yeah. When you think about it, it's not often that we experience these feelings, eh? Unfortunately. And, um, and the reality is that these, all of these feelings, if you think about those feelings, they are all a measure of how enjoyable your entire life will be. And what I'm saying to you is that faith and prayer are going to lead to these things. Now, do you know why the majority of you are not finding those things in your experience of the divine truth? Because you're hearing facts without having any faith or prayer. Do you get that? You're hearing facts. You, you having presented to you in these kind of discussions fact after fact after fact. But because they're not becoming a personal experience in any way, you're not, it's not going to lead to any joy. And instead you become traumatised. So many of you are worried. The more you hear, the more worried you become. Have you noticed that? For some of you? Oh, am I doing this? What am I doing? Have I broken that law? No, I don't know. What am I doing now? Isn't that how it is for many of you? Oh, no, what's happening now? This and that. What? And the reason why we're doing all of that is because we are not 
We are so we are so worried about making mistakes. And the more truth we hear, the more worried about making a mistake we become. Right? Now, do you think a person who's living in faith worries about making mistakes? The reason why is because they know they've got nothing to worry about. Right? The more faith they have, and particularly when we talk about what we can have faith in in a minute or after the break, depending on what time it is. What time is it, by the way? Ten to three. So after the break it will be. And the more things we can have faith about, and the more this faith moves us to action, and prayer is an action, a feeling that comes from our soul, so it's something we have to act upon. And the more divine love that we receive, the more this becomes our result. Now, I say to you, who wouldn't want those things? But, but unfortunately, most of us have no faith we're going to get them if we engage prayer. We believe we're going to get them by engaging something else. You know, by figuring out the law of attraction. Has that worked for you? Do you feel happier doing that? No? I don't know anybody who feels happier doing that. Or somebody who's trying to live by the law, live by the law. What law is there? What law am I breaking here? What law am I breaking here? What, what do you become? <laughs> what was the words? <laughs> Paranoid. Yes, I agree with that one. And what was the other word? Was it your word, going? Neurotic, yes, I agree with that one. That's what you're becoming. Some of you are becoming that, right? Have you noticed? Have you noticed your own neurosis developing? Right? That's not divine truth. Right? That, that is you being afraid of the laws. You're afraid of God. You're not willing to address those particular emotions. And the more emotions you're not willing to address the less of this you will finish up receiving and, uh, and, and having and possessing as a part of your very life. And these two things are the things that are going to lead you there. So I, what I'm saying to you is, it makes sense to me, and while it might not make sense to you yet, it makes sense to me that if the physical laws, when mankind discovers more physical laws, it results in more freedom for mankind, and as a result, it res results in more joy of the experience of life, then I am suggesting to you that if you focus on also discovering these laws in your day-to-day -day life, that this is also going to result in more freedom and more joy in your day-to-day -day life. And I'm suggesting to you that the biggest law possible that you could ever discover is the law of divine love. And I'm suggesting to you that if you focus most of your life and attention on the discovery and application of that particular law and you find out everything you possibly can find out about it and you put it into practice, not just think about it, but put it into practice not, not because there is no benefit but because there is a going to be a personal benefit to you that's the greatest benefit to your entire future existence, then I suggest you'll engage those laws. If you understood the power that these laws have upon your very 
existence now and for your eternal future, you would not hesitate to engage these laws. They would become, like you remember before when we were talking about how many hours we spent engaging the laws? How many hours would we spend? We've got, what is it? How many hours in a week there's there? Who's fast? Well, let, let's, let's help you. It's 24 times 7. All right. Four sevens are 8, 14, carry. <laughs> you got it? What is it? That's exactly right. Many of us don't even know how many hours we've got to discover the laws, let alone discover them. But if, imagine if, now, now you think about it. When you're asleep, you're still awake. You're awake in the spirit world. Now, if you spent, if you actually had a longing in your own soul to discover law, you would want to discover law 168 hours of the week. If you knew that it had such a powerful effect on your future existence, that's what we'd probably want to do. Now, we can discover law while we're having a cup of tea. And we can discover law, that's the beauty of this. You can still eat and you can still sleep and you can still do all these other things that you need to do for your very life and still discover laws 168 hours of the week. You can discover laws while you're asleep in your sleep state. Right? Many of you won't know that until you go into the spirit world and you remember your sleep state and then you'll realise that you were discovering laws then too. But for the majority of us, we're not discovering laws, we're avoiding them. Right? And what I'm suggesting is if you truly had faith in God's love, you would not be avoiding law, you would not be avoiding prayer. It would become a high priority in your day-to-day -day life and existence. Harry? So just going back to what you said at the start of the talk about the law of gravity, mm -hmm. and you were saying we all have like unquestioning faith in the law of gravity mm -hmm. and that's because we experience it all the time we experience it all the time and experience the benefits of it we can feel the benefits of it all the time right so that tells me in order to grow faith i must have an experience yes and and this is what solomon was saying yes faith will come to me if if at the moment let's let's admit to ourselves shall we that at the moment we don't have a very strong faith in god for many of us, we're not even really sure whether God exists yet, right? If we're really honest with ourselves. And for many of us, we don't spend much of a time in the course of a day asking or talking to God about anything. Isn't that true? So that's might, that might be the, the average state that we have, right? Now, can you see that if, if I just engage the experiment... And what's the experiment? The experiment is longing for divine love and seeing whether you receive it and if you don't trying to understand the laws that are involved why you're not receiving it that's the experiment and if you engage that experiment once it happens once and you know it do you think you would then have more faith or less faith in it more of course wouldn't you it's like if i said to you look you can all run at that wall and you can all run straight through it Right? And the first person who runs to that wall goes, runs to the wall. 
you know, like, and, and bang, you know. It wasn't possible, right? So the very first person who does that is going to get what? Feedback system, knowing that it wasn't possible for them. Does that mean it's not possible? It doesn't, does it? It just means that I don't understand the laws engaged as to why that would happen. So if I'm not receiving divine love, it's exactly the same. Right? So if I think I'm praying and I, and, and I think that I've got some kind of longing for God and, and instead what I do is I, I'm like hitting that wall and bouncing off it and nothing's really happening aside from me feeling like I'm hurt, then I must understand that I still don't understand the law that it engages the reception of divine love. Does that make sense? So you see... This is why it's very important for us. We need to engage the desire for prayer. And when we realize that we don't get a response, then we need to know that there's something that we don't understand here. There's some kind of law that we're not getting. Because there's millions of celestial spirits who have gotten this law. So that tells us it's possible. There's plenty of other people that have done it. That tells us it's possible. So if it's possible, but we don't do it, then there's got to be something to do with our engagement of the law and our understanding personally of the law. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that a hand, Mary? It's a half a hand. It's a half a hand. <laughs> half master. Say what you want to say. What you're describing to me, like when everyone listens to you, I feel their faith increase. And I feel that's because they see a demonstration of something, of fact, in yourself. Mm -hmm. But that's not the real thing that grows our faith. It's, no. It's having the experience for it's ourselves. It's having the personal experience yourself. But it, it keeps occurring to me as you're talking that we can also have faith in the process of experimentation. Exactly. And this is what you're describing. A lot of us feel like faith, the experiment part is our faith, don't we? And then we we go, oh, faith feels like I'm stepping out into the unknown and it's a big risk. From what you've said, actually, it's based on fact and that leads us to experiment, which is not faith, that's experimenting. Yes. And I can have faith that if I just keep experimenting. Yes, and experimentation is important for us to eventually gain faith because without experimenting, we will never yes. have any faith. In the we end. don't have an experience. Then. We won't have an experience. So we need to experiment. But the problem with experimenting for most of us is we are terrified of experimenting. You think about how much, how terror, how much terror you have in your day-to-day -day life of trying something new, which is an experiment. And the majority of people have huge amounts of terror involved with something new. Like if I said to you, right, just stop for a moment. What I'm going to do now is five minutes. In five minutes' time, I will start picking out people from the audience and you've got to come up here for five minutes and explain the principles of divine truth to the audience of 200 people. How many of you would willingly and with great joy engage that experiment? Can you feel the fear? Now, I know there's some of you that might, but can you feel the fear? The fear goes... Whoa. And what does fear do? It stops you from being willing to make mistakes. And if you're willing to make mistakes, that's involved with experimenting, a willingness to make mistakes. Like, I'm willing to make thousands of mistakes. Right? I love making mistakes. <laughs> I'm serious. I do. 
Do you know why? Because without them, I can't find out the answers to my experiments. Right? So uh, to me, making mistakes is a very important part of this. But you've got to be willing to make mistakes. Most of us are so unwilling to make mistakes that we don't even develop a desire to do something, even when we have a spark of faith. We go, my faith would motivate me down that track, but I'm too frightened. So I go down this track instead. That's what we do. So what we would like to do after we have a break is we want to talk about the relationships between... We want to talk more about faith, but this time, what to have faith in. Where, what kind of things are going to help us in this, the discovery of the greatest law. Remember I said to you that this is the greatest laws. The greatest laws of the universe are the laws of divine love. They will have the biggest effect on your future existence. At the moment, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay. I'm just trying to encourage you to believe that, or at least have some faith, that this is the greatest law you could ever find out about. And what I'm suggesting is experiment with it. Allow yourself to do the experiment, the big experiment, which is this connection with God. Remember I said the connection with God is the thing that is going to give you all other truth. All the other facts of the universe will come to you through this connection. If you engage the connection first, that's going to be a very rapid process. If you do not engage the connection first, you know what will happen instead? What will happen instead is you'll have to do the individual step-by-step -step thing where you've got nobody telling you about what are the laws of the soul and you have to discover each one of them personally. Now, many of you are engaged in this process unwillingly. Every single moment of every single day, you're engaged in the process of unwillingly experiencing the results of God's laws on the soul without wanting to know what's going on. Many people on the planet are doing that, and many and most, in fact, people in the spirit world are still doing that. And what I'm suggesting is we need to change our tack, have some faith in God, and start experimenting with this greatest law. So after the break, I want to talk some more about faith, what to have faith in, and, and then we'll lead it open to tomorrow with the discussion about prayer and what, you know, what, what we need to do with regard to prayer. And what we'll do now is we'll have a break for, do you like, about, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so? That sound all right? And, uh, and then come back, which would make it quarter to... Ten to four? Thank you. And I suppose that brings us to a lot of the things we've done this uh, last six months or so because we've spent a lot of time setting up things for the Kenya Project. We'd like to thank you for your donations to the Kenya Project. All up, um, there was donations of around $40,000 to the Kenya Project and we've spent all of that money on getting all of the systems together and everything and, and, and in fact sending it over there also cost a fair bit too. Um, and so now there's three people over there, Paige, Carey and Dennis, and they all have websites if you want to keep track of how they're going and they've been updating their blogs uh, just to let you know how things are going over there. Now Mary knows the blog names and I don't, so I'm just wondering Mary whether you can 
Do you remember I don't know them? the web addresses, but I know the names of each of the blogs. Yeah. So Paige and Carrie is called P and K's Truth Tales. So P you, and. Yep. It's the symbol and. And K's. Yep. Truth, Truth Tales. Tales. So if you Google that, they'll come up. And these are linked off of your blog, aren't they? Yes, they're also in the sidebar on my okay, blog. Okay, so that's, that's uh, Paige and Kerry. Paige and Kerry's. And, and Dennis? It's called Kenya 2013. Kenya 2013. And it's just So really, that one's Dennis. Yeah, Dennis. Yeah. Lovely reading there. Yeah, it's lovely their reading them, actually. Experiences, yeah. Yeah, yeah. their experiences. They're putting... Every few days they manage... They're in Nairobi at the moment, and every few days they in Nairobi they're managing to put some new information up so you'll be able to see what's going on for them. Um, there's been somebody who donated... Uh, um, a ve uh, enough money for them to buy a vehicle for the people over there to get around so that's been really good and it means that they can travel quite a number of places in Kenya that they wouldn't have been able to travel to before so, so that, that's work, worked out fairly well at this point and those guys are really enjoying themselves over there then um, we've also um, I'll just rub that off we've also been working on doing these frequently asked questions so um, Igor and Lena have made a corner of their living room into a sort of like a makeshift studio. And uh, we, every week generally, we've been going down there and recording uh, up to six hours of video um, for frequently asked questions. And at the moment, there's 200 of them on the net. And we, we hope to have about a thousand of them or more over the period of the next year added to the site. So. Because, as you know, when people are first interested, they ask a lot of questions and, and we want to give people a resource to be able to answer questions without having to travel very far or, or any of those kind of things. So that's what we've been doing there. So myself and Mary have been spending quite a bit of time doing that. We've started also doing discussions and about the Paget messages. We're continuing some book group discussions using the same method. And we also have been doing some mediumship that we've just started doing that it will be recorded and put on the net as well. So they'll all be coming up over the next few months. Uh, we've already put, like I said, about 60 hours of those videos up as well. We've still been continuing doing interviews. Um, and if you want to know the, the discussion that matches this talk today and tomorrow, it's the Paget message from Solomon that, it, that will be added next week to the YouTube channel. Just one question I have for you though is that we haven't actually, st uh, we've stopped producing DVDs and I was just wondering how many people would, like whether you would still want us to do DVDs or, or is it better, see at the moment we've been doing a lot by memory sticks so we have a stick of memory where you can fit tw 10 uh, movies on one stick and uh, with the new sticks we're getting, you can fit 20 uh, movies on one stick. And uh, it works out to be cheaper and also easier for us to get these movies onto memory sticks to send to people. But as long as people have a way of playing them, that's the main thing. So what I was wanting to ask you just as a general idea, how many of you would still like to see DVDs coming out? Is there any of you that would still like that or you, you want to get with... There's a few, not many, yeah, just a few. Yeah, I, I doubt whether we will be continuing with the DVDs because of this, because of the technology that's come out. My suggestion to you is if you would like to have DVDs, um, 
there's only a few other options. One is a media player. There's a little box that you can buy to plug into your television that you can stick a USB stick into and play movies from the stick. And, uh, and the media players are only... You can buy them at Dick Smith or some electronics place. And uh, that's probably a better way for, uh, for us to handle giving out movies as well because it means we can give you 20 or 30 at a time. Or even with a disc, we can give you our whole 600 gigabytes of movies, which is 900, 900 hours of... of uh, shall we call it pleasant watching? Or is it not always pleasant watching? Um, yeah, on, on, one, on one hard disk drive. And we're finding that's a far better way. Before, when we were doing DVDs, it was costing us around $1,000 to make up an entire set of DVDs because, as you can imagine, there's 200 DVD, 400 DVDs in one set. So that's a lot. And, and instead of doing that now, we can just buy a, a $100 disc and put it all on a $100 disc and give it away. So it's much, much cheaper for us and far more economical for us to give it away as hard disk drives than it is to give it away as individual DVDs. So I doubt whether we'll be continuing with the DVD process because of this. It's much more economical to do it the other way. Now, are there any questions about just those mundane things at all? Um, myself and Mary would like to take this opportunity, though, to thank you for your donations in the last five months and for those overseas who eventually watched this uh, movie too. Um, because um, without those donations, we wouldn't have survived the last five months. Obviously, we haven't been doing presentations like formal ones like this. And so we've been living off of those donations. We're hoping that the donations from this particular event will be able to buy a new video mastering computer that, uh, because uh, one of our computers has, has died and uh, can't be recovered for video mastering. So what we want to do is get another computer for video mastering. And that way, Lena and Igor will be able to keep up with what we're producing. Um, at the moment, they're just struggling to keep up. Once we get a new system, we feel they'll be able to keep up fairly well. And we'll be able to produce a few more hours per week um, of, of information if we have a new machine. So what we're probably going to do is spend most of our funds from this event trying to see whether we can get one of those machines for them. Um, aside from that, I don't think there's too much to, to tell you. Is there anything you want to know before we continue with our discussion? Barbara, what would you like to know? <coughs> yep, just wait for Igor to get it. That's right, try again. Right? Yep. Yeah. Did you have a good 50th birthday? And did you birthday? have a party? Uh, as you know, I don't celebrate my birthday. So um, um, what did we do? I think we did a, a pageant presentation, didn't we? <laughs> I think you'll find there's one there for the 10th of March, and, and uh, that's my birthday. We had a mini celebration with Lena and Eagle. Even though you weren't officially celebrating, I brought ice cream. and they had Oh, the, that's right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Mary, Mary made some ice cream. Uh, lovely it was too. And uh, Lena and Igor shared it halfway through our pageant message <laughs> presentation. That was, that was my birthday. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel it's that significant. So um, the significant event is, is me connecting, reconnecting with my soul again at some point. <laughs> that would be a significant event, yeah, which hasn't happened yet. Alan. Um, back to the DVDs. Mm -hmm. I've got double copies of some of the ones you've done, mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering if, if 
we could send them to Kenya or somewhere where people could use those? Yeah, well, this is the thing about the African continent. Is sending, it, sending it to the African continent is pretty pointless because most people don't have any technology at all. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're assuming that they have it because we're so used to it, but they don't have it at all. And, and so what we're finding is that we have to provide them the means to watch as well as the things to watch. And the way that we've done that, we've sent quite a lot of things to Africa now, and the way we've been doing that is we've been buying media boxes, media players, and we plug that they can plug a disc that we send to them as well. And if they don't have a screen, we buy them a projection unit so they can project it onto a wall. Um, and, uh, and we send the whole kit to them. And that's the way that they can watch it. They don't have the funds to buy that, of course, because it's, uh, for them, that would be like a year's wage just for all of those things. So... So what we're trying to do is just send to people that we know are very interested over there the material and, and letting them just use the material how they see fit. Now, a lot of times what they're doing is they're getting together with their neighbours and having a projection on the wall and, and, uh, and so forth. The big issue that we have is having a way for them to interact with the material and that's why the guys decided to go there in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us don't realise how the other parts of the world live, eh? We, we think that because we're, we've grown up in this kind of environment where pretty much everything is at our fingertips uh, as, and most of us have enough funds to buy the things that we need to do things, that's not the case in, in the third world at all. And, and so what we're having to do is provide them the means as well as the resources. And... Um, what we're trying to do, actually, over the next few months is build up a kit where, where they have a complete kit um, that we can send them in a box, like a hard shell case, something like um, one of the hard shells that we have for our sound equipment, and where we buy the hard shell case, we have the projection unit in there, a, a, a set of earphones and a, a, few, a, a keyboard and a mouse and a, and a, and a little tiny... I've found these little tiny computers that are that big. Um, that you just plug all the wires into and you can... And, and they're purposefully built for the third world by a company in the UK that is doing it as a non-profit organisation and uh, they're called Raspberries. I don't know if you've heard of them. And, and uh, yeah, they have the ability to play everything that we would give them and we're hoping to be able to send up these little kits for under $500 Australian each and, and that's actually cheaper than just a whole set of DVDs. And, we, and we, we get them, and that kit costs around $300 to send, to the, to, to, um, particularly to the third world countries such as Africa. And um, we're hoping also that if anybody wants to travel with such a kit, if they go travelling overseas, that we make up a kit for them to travel with. And if they want to show anything to anybody, we just give them a kit. And then when they travelling, they just give the kit away to somebody who's, who they find is really interested. So that's what we're hoping to do in the coming months. So I'm just uh, going through the process of making sure the kit works at this point from a technical perspective. And then we hope to be able to just distribute as many of the kits as we have the funds to, to buy um, overseas is the way to go. Yeah. So that would be a interesting project for anybody who wants to go overseas <laughs> and that brings me to this we've got some old machines that we want to give away who doesn't have a computer and would like 
to um, be able to watch the Divine Truth material or, or it, it's not a... Yeah, Ivana, you want one? The price is right. Now, just let me see which one this one is. I don't, they, uh, both of these are running the Ubuntu operating system. And does anyone heard of the Ubuntu operating system? Yep, yep it's a Unix-based operating system. It's downloadable for free on the net. Again, it's another one of these organisations that does everything by donation. So what we've done is we've installed a Ubuntu operating system on the machine. Well, it's pretty easy to use. It's the same, same as any other yeah, software. So there's yours. Who wants the second one? Anyone? Don't be shy. You don't want one? No? Everyone's got a computer? I'm totally blown away. All right. Well, if you want one, we'll put, we'll put it up the back there for, just in case you want to take one with you. Um, what we're trying to do is to give away as much as we can give away, obviously. So what happens is that we... We'll be giving away a lot of things in the future. And what we're hoping to start doing is giving away disks that have the entire library of information on them and that a person can plug into their own computer and watch anything they watch. And you can also send it back to us to have it updated. And that's the disk update service that we've now offering on the, on the setup. We find because we've now got uh, nearly 600 gigabytes of data um, on YouTube, we find that you know to do it any other way is not that economical. Um, and that way you can have a rotation where you send it to myself or Luli and, uh, and get an updated version of all of the stuff. And we've now written some processes where that's quite like, not, it doesn't take a lot of time. So, so that's what's happening with that. Is there any other questions about what's happening? Well, very shy when it comes to asking questions today. Yeah. Is that because you already know everything? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> okay, let's get back to our discussion about faith. So this is a part of the Relationship with God series, if I haven't mentioned that to you before. And this is actually session two, by the way. Remember in... Uh, it must have been nearly three years ago that I delivered session one on this subject. And, uh, and this is session two. And I hope to have more sessions on the subject at some point in the future. Because faith is a very important quality to develop. But what we've learnt so far is that there are certain things that we could call are the actual facts of the universe. So can we call them absolute truth. An absolute truth is the domain of God. So it's God's truth. God, of course, knows everything that God has done and therefore knows all of the absolute truth about the universe. So fact is a very important part of having faith. And we gave the illustration of when we were, when we were younger learning the fact of gravity which is a fact that we learn and experience way before we actually understand it from a technological or from a scientific perspective. And this is one thing we need to come to understand, is that once we experience 
something. Once the fact becomes an experience, then it becomes a fact for ourselves. Right? And we don't have to know everything about the experience. All we need to do is experience it and it's now a fact. We don't need to know that gravity is 9.8 meters per second per second. We can feel that if we let something go or drop something off of a cliff or something like that, that it accelerates towards the ground. We know that that occurs. And of, of course, the higher you are, the more the acceleration and therefore the larger the impact. So if I fall from a, from a you know, desk three feet high, that's going to be a lot different effect than falling from a building that's thousands of feet high. It will have a different effect because I'm accelerating until I hit what's called terminal velocity, which is the ring resistance preventing me from continuing to accelerate. And these things are absolute facts. You can't change them. They are, therefore, the laws of God. They're parts of the law of God's creation. When they become my personal experience, now I feel this absolute fact. Right? That's the personal experience. So experience is a very important part in developing faith about future things. Because once I've had an experience about a past event, that gives me faith about a future event. And when I say a future event, a future probable new piece of knowledge that I can learn. So, once I've had an experience, I then start to have more faith in future possible experiences. Right? Can you see that if you don't have any experience at all, it's very, very hard to have faith in future possible experiences. And so this... For this reason, the first experience becomes a key factor in developing our faith. Now, what I'm going to speak about now is we, we referred all of this, of course, to physical laws, didn't we? So we were focused on the physical laws before, the laws that are physical in nature and operation. And all of us have a large degree of faith so much so that you could say our faith has become certainty. Right? This is what happens with faith as it grows and grows and grows through experience. Eventually you get to a point where you know for certain what the outcome is going to be. Does everyone get that? Now, with regard to the physical things, with regard to the law of gravity... We know for certain what the outcome is going to be. Living here on earth, for the period of time that we have, we have a certain type of experience, and this experience tells us with certainty that if I jump off of anything, I'm going to fall to the ground at a certain speed, or a certain acceleration is probably the, better, the more accurate term. So these are physical laws, but I, interestingly enough with the physical laws, I don't, I don't go, oh, I don't believe that. Because it, it's obvious. We, we just automatically believe it whenever they're, when it's obvious. 
and we've grown up with it and through our, our experience teaches us that it's obvious and so we automatically believe it. The other thing that we've uh, spoken about is if nobody has experienced anything on a certain subject then it's very very hard for the first person to have faith on that subject. Can you see why that would be the case? So if none of us had any experience whatsoever with, let's say, interstellar transportation. Any of you got experience with that yet? No? Okay. Okay. So interstellar transportation, let's call it that. Well, to be honest, if you were all reincarnated beings, you would have had some experience with that. The fact that you haven't had any experience with it tells me that you can't be <laughs> reincarnated beings for a start. Um, so, interstellar transportation. It's a, ma it's a way of, of moving yourself through space to another location in space um, that is not... That and in between, there is no atmosphere in order to exist. So there are what we would call uh, boundaries of light years of space between all of these locations. Now, now, not many of us know much about that interstellar transportation from an experiential point of view. Would that be the case? All right, you imagine you're the first person trying to find out about the law. What would you do? <laughs> well, can you see what you would do is what mankind has already started doing? That's why the space thing began. That mankind had to learn how to live in a vacuum by producing some kind of like craft. Right? So that's the beginning of the exploration of the knowledge of interstellar transportation. We've already begun it as a human race, ironically. We've already begun the investigation of space type of transport. Right? But we've had to learn a lot of laws in the process. You think of how many physical laws they had to learn in order to put man on the moon. There's literally thousands and thousands of physical laws that were engaged to put man on the moon. Systems that had to be created for the survivability of mankind in a vacuum. Systems that had to be created for the survivability from from. Um, atmospheric matter hitting their craft and potentially damaging the craft systems that, of support of life systems of how they were going to eat how they were going to sleep how they, what, how they were going to pee how they were going to poo <laughs> all sorts, right? systems of, that were all put together and that's the beginning of the investigation of this process See, man's we're, we're very passionate about these things we're so passionate that the NASA spent billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars on this in order to be, to be these people that got to the moon and back. Yeah? And it, there was a whole series of learning that had to occur through that process. Right? But that's only a small part of the entire process of interstellar transportation. To truly do it, can you see that once you do it once, the next time you do it is going to be much easier. 
and then the next time you do it, it's going to be easier again. And if you found in through this process some laws that govern the physical, spiritual and soul-based part of man that allow you to do it, why wouldn't you be engaging it every day? Like if you knew there was an earth, you know, 600 light years away in a, in a constellation somewhere in, out in space where there's people that you could meet and you could travel there just at the, at the flick of a switch, wouldn't you do it? Why not? Why wouldn't you? Right? Can you see it would enhance your life as well, wouldn't it? You'd get to meet a whole people in a whole different earth, like a different environment. That would be pretty amazing. Getting to talk to them, find out what their life is like, find out whether they're ahead of us or behind us in development, what, all these things, right? There's so many fascinating things. In other words, there's so many joys that we would have as a part of that discovery. Right? And what I'm suggesting to you is the biggest thing to discover that has yet has been discovered, because it was discovered in the first century, but has yet to be fully engaged by the majority of people on, on earth is the actual fact, which is God's truth, the absolute truth about divine love, God's love. That is the most important thing you can experiment with. Now, to have the experience of receiving divine love, two things are required. I mentioned them before, and they are faith and prayer. But before you're going to find out anything about it personally, you are going to need to experiment. And can I state to you, the biggest issue that we have is that most of us are totally not willing to experiment. We, we are a part of this society where we expect instant results. And as a result of this instant result philosophy, whenever we don't get an instant result, we believe someone else other than ourselves is at fault. Right? So whenever we, you know, somebody mentions to us, have faith in God and have faith that this love is available to you and long for the love, and you sit there for five minutes longing for love and say, I don't feel anything. That means it's just a crock of shit. Right? That's what the average person might believe. Or, no, I don't feel anything. It's just, this is just because it doesn't work. It's not true. Right? Now I'm saying to you that the reason why this happens to us is because we're not willing to experiment long enough. A really dedicated scientist doesn't come up with a concept or an idea, spend five minutes tinkering with it, and they go, yeah, it's a crock of shit. Does he? The, the whole principle of that would be ludicrous if you were a scientist. Right? And yet that's what we do with our soul. We do that with our soul. It doesn't make any sense. We need to stop doing that and realize that if we wish to have an everlasting future existence 
and we wish to grow everlastingly in this existence that we've engaged, what we want to do is to start seeing the importance of our own development and therefore focus on the developing the experiment. And the experiment is very simple. Have some faith in a few things, which we'll mention in a minute, and pray. And we have to define prayer in this process, obviously, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But we'll talk today more about what kind of things to have faith in. Willie? Um. I have um, uh, difficulty with the faith in that um, I went and did several different things for many, many years, experimenting what I thought was experimenting mm -hmm. and giving it my full, mm -hmm. only to feel that I went down the wrong path mm -hmm. and um, many, many years in it. And now it's very... I, I come to at least intellectually realise that I must be doing something wrong. So you're disappointed? Yeah. 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 And you know what happens with emotions that we don't allow ourselves to feel? <coughs> we should know by now. We've talked about it for five years, right? <laughs> so um, whenever you don't allow yourself to feel disappointed, you carry around your disappointment. So instead of letting it go, you carry it around. And when you carry it around, it infects your next engagement. Right? And this is what's happening for most of us with regard to our relationship with God. The reality is most of us have not experimented strongly with our relationship with God. We've had moments in our life where we have, but, but it's not been a great you know, like passion of our lives most of the time because we have had times of disappointment. In the past, when we've tried to engage a relationship, it hasn't worked. And so what have we told ourselves? Maybe it's not possible. I'm tired of having to go through the grief of disappointment. But can you see that if I was willing to experiment, you imagine, you know, I'm a scientist and I'm there with my experiments, right, with all of my apparatus there experimenting something, and I try one experience, experiment with one substance, doesn't work. Does he go, oh, I'm not doing any more now? Does he do that? No, see, his, his faith and his passion drives him through that disappointment, right? And he might even have a big cry. You look, you look at a lot, a lot of scientists do have very emotional times throughout their developmental phases of whatever they're developing because it's pressure, pressure. They don't get the results they want. <coughs> All of a sudden, you know, they're having ex emotional experiences. They, they feel, oh, it's all too overwhelming. I'm losing money. I'm worried about finances now and I'm worried about where I'm... And all of these emotional experiences continue happening, but what keeps driving them is their faith that they will eventually find the solution. And they don't stop just because they're disappointed. Right? When we were talking about the qualities of love before, one of those ones that we didn't mention was um, patience. Yeah, and, and it is true that we are always patient, even with ourselves especially with ourselves when we love. Yeah. Straight me on. Hi, AJ. Um, I've always believed that faith was a, um, a quality that was created in my soul when I was created, just something undescribable. It was just there. There was no words. It's just... And it's not. No. Right? 
remember the original message that I quoted was from Solomon and in that original message he said what is the thing on God's side was the divine love and then he said the thing on the human side was faith and prayer faith is not something that God has instilled in us by nature faith is a quality like many other qualities that we are going to have to develop in our life and whenever we have a feeling within us that's there already that we haven't developed usually it's not from ourselves it's usually from our guide like our spirit guide or our spirit guardian giving us that impression but it's not our own this means many people come up to me the first time they've met me you know and they say I know you're Jesus and I say how do you know I'm Jesus I just know and I say to him I'm sorry mate but you don't know you've got no idea you weren't with me in my first century life you weren't with me in the spirit life you know none of my experiences and you got no idea all you've got is a spirit telling you that they know and you think it's your feeling right and many of these feelings that we think we have are not actually our own they're, they're feelings that come from other people spirits that we cannot see many of them and what I'm suggesting is faith is a personal quality not a quality that's given to you it's something that you're going to have to develop within yourself nobody else can give it to you so is that like a Christian belief that or something that faith is just there it's not really yeah there are many Christian beliefs one of the Christian beliefs is that God even chooses the people who have faith that is not true there is this whole concept of the chosen people or the chosen race that is not true none of these things are true they are, and and if you think about it if God is a loving parent none of these things could be true because a loving parent would give the same opportunities to every child not just to a few right so all of us have the same opportunities available to us to develop faith but it is a quality that we need to develop by choice through a process not a quality that we're going to be able to even intellectually develop and it's not a quality that we're going to be able to have somebody give us so I can speak you know the reality is I could levitate before you and it would still not cause your faith to grow why does anyone know why that would be the case if we come down the front thanks Nina because we haven't experienced it exactly just because someone else can do it it doesn't mean you can do you see it doesn't mean you can right it just means they did and doesn't mean you believe you can right and and true faith is all about you believing you can not anybody else telling you you can not anybody else explaining to you that you can not anybody else convincing you that you can but actually you coming to believe within yourself that you can and that is a personal experience that's not something anybody can give you that's something that you need to embrace for yourself does that make sense to you right it's like it's like somebody can play the piano and they and you can come along and say that's beautiful playing of the piano um, I, I know I can do it well, fair enough you know you can do it but until you do it you won't believe you can 
That's the reality. And this is why the personal experience is essential with faith. If you try to avoid the personal experience, you will not gain faith. You can't have somebody else develop your faith for you. Right? Um, quick question, AJ. I thought like faith, like the seed of faith was always in, in us. Like, so it's, it wasn't because like in my experience, I always had some sort of faith. But like, <clears throat> but like I just said, Fab, for a lot of us, here we are sitting on earth. We have a spirit guide who has faith because they have had a personal experience. And all they're doing is telling us, you can do this, you can do this. They're trying to encourage you to do it for yourself, but until you do it for yourself, faith won't really exist. Right? All that's happening is you're being influenced by someone who's, posit who's a positive influence on you, and they're showing you that it's possible. So when you come along to these discussions with me, all I'm doing is trying to show you that it's possible. Does that make sense? But I can't do it for you, because nobody can. Even God cannot do it for you because to do so, God would have to break the law of free will. So even God cannot do it for you. You are the only person that can do it for you. There are so many qualities actually within you that you have the potential to develop that only you can develop through a process. And only you can do it. Nobody else can do it for you. So many of us want everyone else to do it for us. We're addicted to other people doing lots of things for us. We, that's, what we, that's how we live our lives most of the time. So I was saying to Graham in the break, Graham came up, if you don't mind me mentioning Graham, um, came up and he was asking me about why he, he wasn't feeling God, right? Feeling God's love entering, in, entering him, even though he believes that God exists and so forth. And I described it, it's like this. Most of us have these holes within us, Right? These holes, let's call them a hole full of pain. Right? And what we have is we want the pain to go away. So we choose all sorts of methods for the pain to go away. And one of the methods is we project out to other people, please make my pain go away. And they then give us a feeling that makes our pain go away. Now that's called an addiction. Does that make sense? And you know what most of us expect from God? We expect God meets our addictions. So in other words, what we want in a relationship with God is when we're longing for God's love, we're not really longing for God's love most of the time. What we're longing for is for God to make our pain go away. Is that not true? You think of how many times you've actually prayed to God in your life. Most of the time, isn't it when you're longing for God to make your pain go away? Right? Now, the beautiful thing about God is that God never feeds your addictions. So, this is the main reason why other people will come along, by the way, and feed them, but God will not. What God wants is for you to get to that pain and get rid of it. So when you have faith and you really long for God's love, God's love starts entering you and then the pain is exposed not covered over, it's exposed. Now many of you, when you start having your pain exposed, what do you do? You try to cover it back over. 
right? And that shuts down the entire process, right? And because you do not have any faith that the pain can be released, you want God to make the pain go away. In other words, you want God to enter an addiction with you. And God's going, no, no, no. I'm not entering any addictions with you. I would like you to let go of this pain that's like your big black hole so that it's no longer there anymore and trust that when you do this, I'll be with you, helping you through this process with you. But most of us don't want to do that. So what we do is we finish up doing this, putting the, we, we start having the pain exposed and we want the layer back. So we try to get the layer back. When we get the layer back, we pro- close down the process. When we close down the process, we're no longer experiencing divine love. Experiment with that. Experiment next time. Next time, instead of going, God, I want you to get rid of my pain, instead of doing that, go like this. God, I want, to help, want you to help me feel my pain. And see how much love you receive during that process in comparison with the processes that you've already been having. Do the experiment. Right? All we need to do is do the experiment. If we do the experiments, you will find that the way God does everything is with pure intention. So, so what happens then is if I have this feeling of wanting God's love, which is prayer, and I do not receive it, I know there's something in me blocking it. right? And I know that it's got to be something about my pain because that's where I always try to put a cover over. I know that for sure. And so what I would like to do with you now is talk about some of these things that we need to have faith in if we're truly going to engage this relationship with God. So now I'm not talking about the faith that we can have generally about physical things generally about laws, you know, physical laws. Now I'm starting to talk about the, the real big law, the universal law of divine love and how you can go through the experiment by having some faith, faith in some basic things about that law. Does that make sense? So let's go through them. Now, of course, the things that you have faith about, you don't necessarily know are true at this point. It's just a faith that you're going to experiment with until such a point that it's demonstrated that it's true to you. So if we're talking about a relationship with God and receiving divine love, what do you think logically is the very first thing to experiment with? Any ideas? From a logical perspective, if we go... Back up to Jason up there. Uh, have some faith that God actually wants or desires to have a relationship with you. Yeah, I'd put that down around four or five, probably. It's, that's number one. Alex, you want to have a go? Then we come down. Um, desire. Yeah, I'd put that even further down, actually. <laughs> um, if we go, Christiana, let's go. Behind. That God exists. Ah, that is a big one, is it not? How can you have a relationship with a God that you don't believe exists? 
I'd say that's pretty hard myself. It's like saying, uh, like, so me saying, look, joy doesn't exist. How can I ever have a relationship if I don't believe joy exists with joy? Impossible, right? So, so this is the very first thing to experiment with, don't you think? This is the very first thing to concentrate some effort on. Does God exist or not? It's a big question, right? There are certain things that I can do to find out whether God exists, but it's worth answering that question first, isn't it? Okay. What's a, so having some faith that there is the potential that God exists and then making some experiments that might prove to yourself that God actually does exist would be a great way to start. Right? So forget about the you know, religious indoctrination you've had in the past. Forget about the religions and what they believe about it all. Forget about all of those different things. Focus on, firstly, on this thing. Do you feel inside of your heart that God exists? And if you don't, how can you ever have a relationship with a God that doesn't exist? Impossible. So, to you, whether God really exists or not, it's immaterial. If God doesn't exist to you, you're never going to have a relationship with God. Right? So... So firstly, we need to start looking at whether God exists. What's next, do you think? Fab. God, God loves. God loves. Do you know what? This is where most religions on earth have already failed. Point number two. Most religions on earth believe what about God? That God is angry, punishing, will destroy the wicked, destructive and so forth and so forth all of those things are not about love already the test of most religions has failed because in regard to faith because they haven't established a faith in a god of love to be honest the majority of you have yet to establish a faith in a god that loves it's not that easy establishing that kind of faith you know why is that because the day-to-day -day life that we have, we often feel like we're being tormented or punished for something and all these other feelings that we have. And so we don't see it, we don't see it as it truthfully is necessarily. So in the end, we start thinking that maybe God's this angry God like my daddy was, you know, who punishes me every time I step out of line and only rewards me when I do the right thing. That's how we see God. That's not a God of love. What we're seeing is a God what I would call an, auto, auto, an autocratic God, right? We're not seeing a God of love, we're seeing a God of rule, of iron, usually. And these, all of these Bible concepts, that, you know, that Jesus would come and destroy the wicked, right? And God will bring the great day of the war of God the Almighty to the earth, right? All of those kind of concepts. And that's actually a quotation from the Bible, believe it or not. That God is a God of war and will actually bring destruction to the earth. There is a Christian belief from many Christians that they believe that the earth will be burned with fire in the last days. Mass murder. That's the God they believe in. A, a ma mass murderer. God is no such thing. right? And if we can't accept a God of love, how could you ever ask for love from God? Now, the majority of us have huge blockages to understanding that God is a God of love. And if we just have some faith 
So if we went, right, okay, I'm going to at least even start with some intellectual concept in there. Oh, that sounds a bit woody. And uh, an intellectual concept, right, that, that God does love. And whenever I feel that God does not love, I might be out of line with that concept. Would be a great place to start. Right? What would you say would be the next thing? Three? You want to have a step, Graham? Just leave your hand up so everyone can see you. God wants to have a relationship with me personally. Yeah, I'd put that down here somewhere. Yeah. What's the structure in which you live? Here's your clue. Use a, use a mic. Um, that God did create everything in the universe. Okay, which means that God created what? Me. Now, before the universe could exist, something he had to exist. He created the laws. Yeah, there had to be a structure in which the universe could exist in order for the universe to exist. The structure is the laws. So, here's number three. God's laws are loving. If we had some faith that God's laws are loving, you know, we would be very circumspect about our lives if we had some of that faith. We'd be looking, every time we have a negative event, we'd be going, well, there's a law involved here that, that's caused this negative event to be a part of my life. There's got to be something in me that attracts these events and, uh, and that causes, there's some law that's in operation here causing these events. If we trusted that, we would believe that if we had faith in that. Most of us don't have faith in that. You know, for most of us, you know what we do? We go, something bad happened. God's a bastard. They even call things that happen acts of God. Uh, the whole insurance industry has it all written in legal terms about acts of God. Who's an insurance broker here? Isn't that not true? Isn't, yeah? Isn't it true? Acts of God. All in legal terminology, yes? This, uh, this presumption that mankind has that anything that bad happens must be God's fault. And many of us have this emotion inside of us about our personal lives. Anything that bad happens must be somebody else's fault and ultimately it must be God's, is the underlying viewpoint that we have. Now that is going to stop you from ever wanting a relationship with God if you believe that. Why would you want a relationship with a God who's a mongrel or makes terrible laws? It's like saying, oh, I want to have a relationship with Stalin because he's such a nice fellow. Like, you know? Well, Stalin was a mass murderer, yes? Well, God's a far worse mass murderer according to the Bible. At one time in the Bible history it says that God destroyed everyone except for seven people. So that, isn't that what you'd call a mass murderer? Now, if you believe in a God like that, do you think you're going to want to have a relationship with him? Or do you just think you'd be scared? <laughs> what do we say in Australia? Scared shitless about having a relationship. And this is why most people in the world are totally frightened of God. Because there's these concepts of God that are almost in every religious faith. Do you, do you know on the planet at the moment, there are 2.2 billion Christians, right? There's about 1.9, I think it is, billion Muslims. 
if you add up the religious face, it turns out that I think it's about 84% of people on the planet actually have a religion. The majority of people do have a concept that there is a God that exists. So they have no trouble with number one. But the problem is number two and number three. They have no concept that there is a God of love that exists or a concept that all of God's laws are loving. Now how can you expect to ever want a relationship with a God that has no love for you and is willing to punish you until hell freezes over, as the saying goes? It's going to be very, very hard for you to want a relationship with such a person, I would suggest. And, and there is this constant thought that God is arbitrary in the way that God delivers punishment. In other words, God decides, oh, I like that fellow, I'll let him get away with murder. I don't like that fellow very much. You know, he's just got to swear and I'm going to punish him. But there is this concept that people have on this earth that God is arbitrary in the way in which God delivers justice. Right? If we believe these things, that would not be possible. There is also these concepts of like some religions view themselves as more important than others. They see themselves as we're the ones who are saved. Yeah? Now, if God loves all of her children, who's God interested in saving? All of her children. <laughs> Does that not make sense? Not just the children who have a certain intellectual concept or a belief system or a doctrinal structure, but rather children who just want to have a relationship with God. And, and God would want to save even the ones that don't want to have a relationship with God. And in fact, God has a whole way of saving such people. Right? But most of us don't believe it. Most of us don't believe any of those things. Because we've grown up in an environment, in a family environment generally, where sooner or later somebody punished us whenever we got out of line and they rewarded us whenever we were in line. And so that's what we think God is. A person who rewards us and punishes us depending on whether we're out of line or in, in line or out of line. That's what we believe. Igor? Uh, wouldn't it be important to clarify that there is one true God? Yeah, well, that's what I'm speaking of here when I say one God exists. There can only be one, I would suggest. If there is one at all, there only can be one. Um, not hundreds of thousands of millions of them. Right? There is one supreme being who was the source of all things. If there was ever such a being, there has to only be one. If uh, we believe there's hundreds of thousands of gods then my suggestion is sooner or later you'll find behind the, all of those gods there is one who all of those people or all of those gods accede to. But again, you don't have to make the assumption. You can do the experiment. Try to believe in a hundred thousand gods and try to connect with every one of them and see where it takes you. And see whether that takes you in the same direction as connecting to one of them and seeing where that takes you, the one that's supreme. We can make an experiment of every single thing. Every single thing. But it's a personal experiment. No amount of somebody talking to you is going to convince you unless you go through your own experiments. Right? Now, you can get together and share your experiments with others and they go, oh, that's a good experiment. I'll try that too. You could easily do that. But in terms of telling someone the results of your own experiments, then all you're doing is doing what I'm doing. 
And it's not very effective, is it? Have you, have you seen that? How many of you have had the personal experiment that you know for certain you've received divine love after five years of listening? How many of you know? That's not a large percentage, is it? Right? So having someone tell you doesn't make much difference. It's only when you engage the experiment that things will change. Yep. What else could we have faith in? So we talked about God being exists. Many of us here have flirted with that one and sort of have a tick on it. Would you say that? Many of us here are not so certain about this one or this one. In fact, on a daily basis I hear many of you cursing one of God's laws called the law of attraction. You don't like that law very much at all. Right? So that, that's, that's not a belief that God's laws are loving, is it? Right. And in fact, the majority of us still are flirting with the idea or concept that there is a loving God. And I can understand why, because for, historically, for tens of thousands of years on this planet, there is the underlying idea and concept that's been prevalent, and that is that God is a punishing, wrathful God who destroys people that we've got to sacrifice for. Years ago, they used to sacrifice their own children, the firstborn of their own children, for this God. And they felt that whenever they did that, they would have a good harvest, they'd have a good life for the next year and so forth. Right? What's the difference between that and the sacrifice of Jesus for God? Not much. It's now one person sacrificing his life for God. Does God require a sacrifice at all? No. But many of you believe you are sacrificing every day still with your relationship with God. So that means you still believe it, that God requires sacrifice. You see, just because you're told something, it doesn't mean that anything changes here in your heart. You can be told thing after thing after thing, the truth even, facts about God, and not believe them. Right? You're only going to believe them when these start to become your personal experience with God. And the only way you're going to do that is to, to have a personal experience with God. And that's completely independent of anybody else that's ever lived or ever will live. There are things people can do to help you. They can tell you the truth of their own experience. But even that is not going to convince you. Something inside has to change before you'll be convinced to, to try the experiments. Let's go for another thing we need to have some faith in. So now we're starting to get down. This is, this is about God universally, is it not? What we've written there. Now let's look at God personally, as some of you have already raised. So what was one of the ones that you mentioned, Graham, that God loves me? Now can you see that if I believed that, the only thing limiting my belief of that is whether I feel I am lovable. Does that make sense to everyone? Is that how I spell lovable? No, it's not. Can you see that? Can you see that if, if I actually knew that God was a God of love in my heart, then the only reason why I would not believe that God loves me is because I feel that I'm unworthy of being loved. Right? And even then, it would be a challenge, wouldn't it? 
if you, if you accept that, then you surely would have to accept this. So on that, on that um, thought, if, if I had a, a feeling that, you know, God just slipped off on the assembly line on that day and made me a bit faulty. Made a faulty mould. Yeah, just, yeah. Just for you. Just for me, because yeah, I'm yeah. special. Yeah, God's um, an idiot sometimes. He eh? just has a day off, bang, look what happens. It was that seventh day that he rested, you know. The seventh um, day he so, rested. So... You were made on the seventh day that he rested. <laughs> Who made you then? Exactly. 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 Um, so that would come under um, believing God is a God of love who is perfect. It's the exactly. same kind of thing. Yes. Right. Okay. Exactly. You know, and this is, I feel, um, one of the things. We could even put that above here. We could even put it here like God is perfect. Yeah, God is perfect. Okay. But let's globalise it and, and say... What we're seeking for is what are God's attributes and qualities. And one of those attributes is perfection. Or infallibility, I guess they call it too, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah pure infallibility, yeah, perfection. See, no, none of us will ever have that. We all seem to think we will at some point, but we won't. Because we're continually growing towards God, right? So God is the one that has it, and we, we can get more and more and more, become more perfect. But whenever you expect yourself or someone else to be perfect, you're way out of line with God. Because only God's perfect. And we can approach perfection. You must become perfect, as your Heavenly Father is. But at the end of the day, we must acknowledge God's attributes and qualities at some point. We need to know what they are. It's like, how can you have a relationship with someone that you don't know what they are and don't even trust what they are right so these are still universal issues before we even get down to and i'd like to put a few more universal issues that probably none of you are ever going to come up with do you, any more universal ones do you think we could add to this list that are not a part of those things we go to Joseph, is it just a couple of things there, and Christiana and so That God is an entity or personable? Yeah, I feel this is all about God's attributes and qualities. Yeah, that's all part of that, I feel. Christiana? Sorry, Christiana, behind you. Infinite. Sorry? Infinite. Infinite? Yeah, I feel that's a part of this as well. God loves all his children equally. Yeah, I think that's a part of that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Love is not something that can be unequally displayed. If, if it's unequal, then it's not love. Do you follow me? Then it's a bartering system or some kind of transaction where, we, where we're getting something back from this person that we like better than the other person. If you truly love, you love everyone the same. Right? God truly loves us, so God loves all of us the same. And it's immaterial what we do, what, what, whether we're evil or whether we're good or whether God loves us still. We might not feel that love, of course, right? because of our condition. And in fact, many of us don't feel God's love because of our condition. Yep. Barbara, you want to say? I was say. Sorry, uh, with the mic. Yep. I was going to say God was impartial, but that came under just what you said. Hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, Max, um, that God rules. Yeah, I think that's a part of these qualities, and uh, uh, this one here and this one here too, actually. Yep. Yep. Like I said, I don't think you're going to guess my next one because it's not about God. <laughs> so now that I've given you that clue, do you want to have a guess? Max, you want to have a go? That faith might actually work? Um, well, that's why we have a faith, is to yeah. work out the things might oh, actually work. Oh, the prayer might actually um, engage this and work. Yeah, no, I'm thinking more universal still. Not, no, not no individual idea. yet. <laughs> not individual yet. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Okay. I told you none of you, yes. <laughs> the reason why I bring it up, though, is because I've had a personal experience with God, a personal experience that many of my brothers and sisters in the spirit world have also had. And when I talk to you about God, I'm talking to you about God's, that God exists, that God is a God of love, that God's laws are all loving. I'm telling you about God's qualities and attributes. And what I'm saying to you too is, you can trust me with it. Right? You can trust a lot of these things. When I say that I'm giving you a personal opinion, so when I say that, so you know when you, talk, when you ask me questions about earth changes and other things like that, I say I'm giving you a personal opinion. Uh, don't trust that. <laughs> you follow me? Because it's just my personal opinion. It's, it's as much value as your own personal opinion. And I'd say that's next to no value at all, just like mine. <laughs> but when it comes to divine, the divine, the experience, the experience that we've had, now you can trust that. You can trust these truths. Do you understand? And many of you don't trust me yet. You know how I know? Because you haven't started the experiment yet. The experiment with God I'm talking about. If you trusted me, and you, like many of you have come along for five years listening, why are you doing that? Because you like what you hear a lot of the times, right? That's why you do it. But you don't like it enough yet to do the experiment. But it's only the experiment that will give you the faith and then the certainty. Right? And I, I, I wanted to remind you that what I'm talking about here can be trusted. And that's a universal thing. There's a lot of people on this earth who have based their belief systems, 2.2 billion people on this planet, have based their belief systems on something that they thought I said 2,000 years ago, that I did not say. Right? I'm suggesting to you, if you're going to have any faith at all in God, Trust what I'm saying to you about God. You don't have to trust me necessarily, although in the end you're going to have to come to trust me sometime. You're going to listen to me for five years. What's the point of doing that if you don't trust me, right? But at some point you're going to have to believe that I am trustworthy. You're going to have to accept that at some point. And when I say have to, I don't mean that you have to, you're forced to. I'm saying that sooner or later what I'm saying about God 
you'll have to come to see as being true if you really want to have any faith. Now, most of you are still resisting that quite a lot, right? So when I talk about a loving God, you're there inside going, oh, I don't like God at all. Look what God's done to my life, you know. There's so much rage inside a lot of time. We had a lovely chat, myself and Igor, about this. And Igor said, you know, I just realised the other day I've got so much anger about God. I just need to tell God God's a bastard and get it out of my system, right? And to be honest, that's how many of you need to do things first. You need to let go of this pain that is inside of you through this experience that you've had that's been out of harmony with love and truth where you've believed things in the past about God that are completely false but you've accepted them so much so that you lived your life by them for a long period of time and had a lot of pain as a result. And you're going to have to let that go somehow emotionally if you're ever going to have a relationship with this God of love. So I'm saying you can trust me and, and sooner or later everyone on this planet if they want to have a relationship with God are going to have to trust somebody who already has a relationship with God. <laughs> right? And the reality is there's lots of celestial spirits now who have a relationship with God and, uh, and all of them are trustworthy. Right? Okay, so once we've got through all of that can you see that the desire for God or shall we call it what it really is a longing for God which is if we want to define that as well prayer would be natural would it not if you fully understood everything about God uh, even before you understand yourself, if you fully understood everything about God, would you not want to have a relationship with this God if a re such a relationship was possible? Well, I, I would suggest that we would. Now, below that, there are many other things that we need to start having faith about. For example, and, and, and may I say, they all revolve around yourself and your own capacity. <laughs> You need to have some faith that you can change. You need to have some faith that you can become more loving. You need to have some faith that if you give up your addictions, you're going to be happier, not sadder. Does that make sense? There's a lot of personal things that you need to develop faith about that are all a part of finding out the truth, the actual facts about the laws of divine love. We need to have some faith that when I ask for love and don't receive it, that it must be something going on with me. Because it certainly wouldn't be anything going on with a God of love who's perfect, who made perfect laws that govern how the operation of love works. It has to be me that's blocking that all. And I need to have faith in that. That it is me. That I have the power through my will to change the future of my existence if I engage this faith. So I need to start having some faith in myself. Right? So many of you are willing to start engaging some faith in God and at the same time you're still trying to avoid any faith in yourself. Right? You can't do that. Not and obey the laws of divine love which are the highest laws in the universe. Yeah. Nina, you had a question? Uh, 
Um, I'm sort of struggling with the Jesus is trustworthy <laughs> comment from the perspective that I'm not too sure that I trust anything much at all. I'd agree with that. Most people don't. And in fact, the problem is worse in the Western world than it is in any other place because we, we've become so, what would you say, jaded? Um, have we as a society, we think that everyone's got their own agenda. We think you know, there's no good people. There's only people who are going to manipulate us and so forth. Why do you think the media have been on and on and on us about cult and all that kind of stuff? Why have they done that? majority of the time it's because they're afraid because they do believe there's no one you can trust. And you certainly can't trust a guy who says he's Jesus. Right? There's been plenty of experience of that in the past too, hasn't there? But it's not so much you, it's my, my doubt or my jadedness. Exactly. So when, when you guys think of me as AJ, have you noticed that you can trust me more? Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting. But when you think of me as Jesus, you start thinking you can't trust me at all. Can you see the problem? This is the problem we've had with the growth of divine truth. Is as soon as I say to a person who I am, most people run away. Like People would tell you, the media wants to say that they, that they come to me because I'm saying who I am. No, most people, it's the opposite. My personal experience has been the opposite of that. Most people who hear me say I'm Jesus. You remember the very first time I said to you that I was Jesus? Some of you were present. Remember in Peter's hall there that Peter's got on the side of his house on that very first time that I said it publicly, it was six or six, yeah, five and a half years ago. Some of you were there, right? Yeah. And you remember the feeling? I remember Mary told me that she was just going, no, no, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> I wasn't even there. I was watching the DVD. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And, and this is the thing, is if, if I had just said, oh, Jane, I'm going to tell you these truths, many of you might have accepted them by now. But because, because I'm saying I'm Jesus, many of you still have a large problem with accepting them. And I'm saying to you, if you can at least see my character is trustworthy, you would at least start the experiment. I'm not asking to have anything from you aside from start the experiment. And I'm not even asking that from you. I've been willing to do that. Many of you have yet to engage the experiment and I've talked to you for five years. Surely by now you'd realise that I don't have much investment in you doing it. Right? <laughs> like I've, I just present material, present material. That's all I'm doing to you. And hope, hoping that at some point in the time there'll be, an, there'll be a spark of faith inside of your soul that causes you to engage the experiment. All right? And I feel a part of this experiment is the, the next thing I'd like to talk to you about, and that is, if we put it as number six, is the truth about the human soul. In the process of engaging the experiment with God, you will come to have some faith in the human soul. You will have faith that you have a soul and that you are one half of it and all of these other teachings that I've taught you at the moment the majority of you still have no faith in these particular things right they're just intellectual concepts that you've been presented with and there's not been a personal engagement of them because there's not a personal engagement with God so this is what I would like to leave you with tonight 
Make a personal list of the things in which you know you don't have faith. So instead of trying to run away from them all, face them. Make a list of all the ways in which you don't have faith, starting with God. And be honest with yourself about it. Really brutally honest with yourself about it. And then when you see that list, have faith that you can get answers to every single one of these issues you have with regard to God and your own self and your own life. Now, I suggest to you that if you have that kind of faith, the next thing that you will do is, is act. You will no longer be putting off actions. You will no longer be waiting for someone else to do it for you. You will no longer be reliant on someone else, including Jesus, to do it for you. You will wish to engage a personal relationship with your own parent, God, because you start to have some faith that there are going to be benefits, personal benefits in your own interaction with God. Does that make sense? At the moment, many of us do not believe this. And that's why we are addicted to doing all the things we're doing on the planet, on the earth, addicted in our relationships with other people, because we're so focused on getting all of these things met through those addictions, because we don't want to go through this experience with God for lots of different reasons. And what I'm suggesting for you to do as a, as a high priority is to note down the areas where, where faith is lacking and start developing some experiments where you can figure out how to get some faith in those areas. Right. So you want to first know where faith is lacking and then you want to make some experiments for yourself that nobody else has control over that you are willing to engage because you want to experience your own life rather than rely on other people to experience your life for you. So once that happens, once you start this experimenting process, and my suggestion would be to experiment with all of these truths about God first. And then you can forget that one as well. Experiment with all these truths about yourself next. That would be my suggestion to you. And faith is going to be a key part in dragging you through all of those experiences. Right? And it will also provide joy. Like It's very rare that you see me in a down and out condition, is it not? Right? Now I do cry. But I cry as the result of receiving love, having the pain exposed and letting the pain come up when I'm receiving it. I don't cry in just because I'm frustrated and I didn't understand this law and I didn't understand that law and what's going on and all those kind of things. Very, now it's unheard of for me to cry in those particular areas because I've found that all I need to do is receive love and all of these pains will come out of me. 
And I'm suggesting to you to trust that same process. Receive the love and all of these painful things. Allow the experience of all of these painful things that will come out of you. It'll come out of you if you let it. If you don't let it, it'll stay in you and you'll be like this bottled up person, frustrated that you're trying to receive love, frustrated that your faith isn't growing into full confidence, into full awareness, into full trust. And five years' time, we'll be talking about this and you'll be going, yeah, I don't know if God exists still. And that would be a shame. And it doesn't matter what happens to me, it'd still be a shame for you if to come down five years later and say, I still don't know if God exists yet. It would be much better if you knew for certain one way or the other. And if you feel for certain that God doesn't exist, then try that as an experiment. Yep, Sam, thanks. What about faith in love itself? Like if we have false beliefs about love, they're going to prevent us from receiving God's love. I agree, it's a big issue, isn't it? Like most people on the planet think that love is weak, love has no strength at all, there is no security in love, people fall in it and go out of love all the time and you can't rely on it. And if you're talking about love with a partner, then there's no reliability with it. I agree. But do you know what's going to help you get over that? Is you'll start receiving God's love and find that it's totally reliable every time. Wouldn't it require for me to deal with my false beliefs about love too? Certainly, God's you're going love. to have to have some faith that God loves you all the time. That's where the faith will carry you through the false belief. It'll, it in fact, carry you over the false belief. So the false belief is here, that maybe God doesn't love me, might be the false belief. Or maybe love, you can't trust love, is the false belief. Right? But if you have faith, it will carry you over the false belief. You won't... You won't live by your false belief anymore. You'll live by faith. If you live by faith, that means that you have a false feeling, a false belief, but you're willing to accept that maybe it's not true. Most of us are not do we're doing that yet. Most of us are still saying, I've got a false belief that love, you can't trust love, and I'm right. Don't you tell me that I'm wrong. Right? That's how most of us react when it comes to love. And I'm saying, no, if you really have received some divine love, you'll, get, you'll gather some faith that the false belief that love is not strong, that love hasn't got any stability, all of those false beliefs will disappear. Right? If you go through this experiment with God. And you won't live by them anymore. So the majority is still living by them. They're still going to themselves... Yeah, there's no power in love. You look at what happens, you know, last week somebody said he loved me and this week he's off with some other woman. That tells you there's no power in love. No, it doesn't. It just tells you he's a fickle person who didn't love you in the first place. That's all it tells you, right? It doesn't tell you anything, but, you've, but you're believing it as a false belief. If you had faith and you actually had experienced some of God's love, you would understand the constancy of it. And that it never disappears. And then it never takes from you. And never takes from you. Yeah. Which is your primary fear, yes? That love is going to take from you. And you'll find that. Of course, love doesn't feed your addiction either, which is something you also want to have happen. So you'll find that God's love doesn't do that either. So there you are, wanting the addiction, wanting swearing at God because he's not meeting your addiction. 
feel all that, let it all go, and have some faith that God, when you feel God's love, it's in a pure time. It's when you're in a pure space. What I find is that a lot of these false beliefs, they just disappear from people if they had this allowance. And they always focused on the faith, the faith which involves the heart and the mind together, the logic and the experience. If they had some faith, no, God is a God of love. I can trust God. Right? God's laws are all loving. I can always trust that they're working perfectly. Always. And so if something's not working in my own life, I know it must be because I'm out of harmony with the law somehow. Does that make sense? Yes. I trust that, even though I might not believe it yet. I have a faith that that is true. Do you follow me? Thank you. And true, true belief, in a, in a, when I say true belief, what I'm talking about now is actual fact, will eventually come to me if I go through the experience and the experiment. So the actual fact is, love is not weak like you believe it to be. But you won't know that fact until you first experience love like that. The majority of us on this planet have never experienced a love like that. All we've experienced is fickle love, fickle love, fickle love. And that's not love. But we called it love. And we believed it was love. But it was just fickle addictions being met. When it's true, when love is true, it's constant. If you notice, it doesn't matter how angry you get with me. It doesn't matter how annoyed you get with me. How many terrible emotions you project in me. The next week I still love you. Have you noticed that? Many of you haven't noticed that yet. It's been five years and you still haven't noticed that. <laughs> right? But if you notice that, you'd go, okay, if AJ's just got a little bit of God's love in him, that must be, God must be infinitely more like that. God's not fickle with God's love. You can be angry with God and God's still going to love you. You can be sad with God and God's going to still love you. You can be ashamed of God and God's still love you. God's not fickle. And the only time that you will actually feel that is when you're open to the God experience with God. Yeah. So my suggestion with regard to faith is, uh, as I said, note down all of those things that you feel you do not have faith in and then produce some experiments over the coming months that will help you develop faith in these areas through experience by actually finding out how the laws operate yourself not anybody else you yourself and you can ask questions of people and work out things and read things and do all sorts of things to find these answers but do it as a high priority stop putting it off stop going to yourself yeah i don't know if anybody can really work out whether god exists i don't know if a god of love really does exist that's not being my personal experience i don't know if all god's laws are loving I don't know what God's attributes and qualities are. So I'm just going to ignore the whole thing and hope that at some point in the future it all comes to me somehow. It's not going to come to you that way. No scientist, of which all of you are, no scientist has ever sat back in his lounge chair watching the telly and waited for the laws of the universe to be discovered by sitting on his backside. He might have discovered a law about the soreness of his backside at some point. <laughs> However, the, the, the issue is we have to act 
if we truly want to find out for ourselves what is the truth. We have to. And it's the same as you if you were a scientist looking at physical laws, you'd have to do something. You'd have to act, you'd have to have experiments. You'd... So treat your soul the same way. That's what I'm recommending to you. Have some faith in God's goodness. And where you don't have faith, work on faith first. Because faith is what's going to draw you into your desires and draw you into a desire of having a relationship with God. Faith is going to do that. Faith is the underlying motivation for you to develop a relationship. And that's what I would like to suggest to each of you to do with regard to faith. So as I've said, we produced a, um, a discussion about Solomon's message about faith that's now uh, will be on the internet next week. My suggestion is incorporate that as a part of your understanding about faith. Have a listen to that presentation about the importance of having faith in, in this relationship with God. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for today. It's pretty late now, I gather. It's dark outside. So, thank you. We'd just like to also thank everyone who helped set up today. It was a good group setting up things today. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow if you want to come along at 11. It is tomorrow that it starts. Um, I think it's 11. And there's no more rapping tomorrow. <laughs> oh. um, is there anything you guys would like to know before we leave tonight? No? Everyone's fine? Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.